is it one o'clock? <laughs> on I Monday? don't even know. Hello. Hello. La la la. That's our little Seinfeld. Intro I know, right but I feel like we're all out of sorts. So, <laughs> hi guys, welcome. It is Monday afternoon. Um, well, happy Memorial. Happy Memorial Day. I don't think there's anything to be happy it, about necessarily. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think the best, I always say it every Memorial Day, the best way to honor people is to stop creating new people for profit. That would be the best way to do it. Just saying. Honor our troops. Do not honor those that send our oh, troops. I'm like a hot conflict, mess. It's I an say. afternoon. I don't even know what I'm doing with myself. Ah, you're, you're, you're just fine. Child, you're ready to go on. Child going number on two is, is attached to the television. That's I, the thing. These listen, new school ask days our, are ask not our, a Ask problem. our lovely guests what time you have to get ready to go on set for certain No, projects. I know. It's all morning Five time. For, no, it's all morning time for that. I can't even make it to a nine o'clock Pilates class. I can't. There's just not happening. Well, for those of you who have been living under a rock, uh, you know that on generational change, our mission is transforming politics into service. And we believe that the most effective way to do that is through labor. And so right now there is a major, as are there several that no one talks about, but certainly a major labor strike that is going on right yeah. now with the Writers Guild of America, WGA. And we are obviously very thankful and grateful for our wonderful friend, David Jolliffe, who has really done an amazing job of bringing some of the more recognizable people that you know in the entertainment world who are fighting the fight on behalf of those who really do not have a voice. Most people who think of movies, Hollywood, et cetera, are often associated specifically with the entertainers themselves. Right. I always think people don't understand how this all works. There is so much work that goes yeah. in behind the scenes. And so first and foremost, we are very pleased to welcome the gentleman who made this all possible back to generational change. David Jolliffe, how are you? Right. Hi, yes. It's Hi. me, your old pal, Dave Jolliffe. Um, thanks, thanks for having me, and thanks. Um, have we announced who our little special guest? No, are? no, this is very exciting. This is very exciting, and no, it is not Santa Claus in the off season. <laughs> uh, I've been so busy, I haven't been able to get to uh, to the clothing store, to the uh, cleaning up the room, or uh, getting to the barber. It's oh, been no, a busy. It's, time. it's been a, it's a busy time, you guys. It's uh, there's a lot going on. You know, we're talking about um, what's going on with the writers right now. Uh, they're on strike. They've been on strike for over 25 days. And we start our negotiation, uh, Screen Actors Guild AFTRA, in uh, a few weeks, June 7th. And both of our contracts, the DGA and the, and the WJ contracts, end uh, midnight, June 30. So hopefully uh, we can uh, negotiate to a settlement, but uh, we are prepared if that does not come to fruition. Well, we Good have times. a wonderful panel that is going to be probably a big surprise for a lot of people, but that's kind of how we This is how we're here. small but mighty. We are small but mighty, oh, but we are very grateful mighty. for the friends that we have, like Mr. Jolliffe, who is bringing back one of our favorite people. Uh, most of you know her as Princess Leia's sister. I hate that. Don't do that. <laughs> but she is an exception. That's not true. <laughs> I mean, a... that's true, but it's like, the, you know, it's like no, I, tell a lot. I, I, I don't think that's how most people know her. I think, no, I I think most people know her as a phenomenal actress. Jen, how do you how do you know Mrs. Fisher? Honestly, I think mostly from Ellen. Yes, I think. But I, I'm not. I, an Ellen. That was a little. Before. OK, I'm old. Yeah. Whatever. But the point is, is I think more from like, yeah, and I'm thinking of where before that, but lots of things. 
and the Brad Garrett show and the, I don't know, a lot of things. She's I happen just, to love Brad Garrett. That is one funny man. And one of the okay. best guest stars ever on, on Seinfeld. Seinfeld. I know. And it's even mentioned in the book I was telling you about. Jolie yes. Fisher, okay. welcome back to Generational Change. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Well, good morning to you. That's right. You know, how good nice morning for me. But I, I know. I did fluff up for you a little bit. A no, little. You, look, you look lovely. Yes, you do. I am, and I am so much more than the Fisher moniker. I, I am. Know. I'm a mother of five humans. I am a staunch oh. activist. I am uh, a writer, director, actor. Yes. You know, um, but I do carry the weight of the crown, and I also carry on. You know, I got to live live down a bunch of shit too. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we are also very pleased to welcome. Somebody who a lot of you know from a lot of different movies. I happen to appreciate him very much. Oh, please don't go into I am allowed thing. to mention oh. that he oh, did a movie when I was young that made me a Notre Dame football fan. Oh, for fan. God's so, sake. So without further ado, Sean Astin, welcome to Generational Change. Oh, right on. Hello, everybody. And I know those two and those two. And they, hey, well, well, that was sweet. I'm glad you're a Notre Dame fan. I went to UCLA, but whatever. Yeah, no, 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 no. We won't even need to get into that. I keep trying to explain it. Yeah. Well, the thing we have—that's not Rudy. Well, the thing that oh, we have—the well, thing that God. we do have in common, since you were a Bruin, is that as a Notre Dame fan, we really do not care for USC football. So at least we got that going for us. The pi- I, I came in from New York yesterday, and the pilot sort of escorted me and my daughter off the plane, like not like we were in trouble, but I don't know. But he like walked off the plane with us, and uh, I was like, "Well, thanks so much for a great flight." He goes, "Well, I don't want to say this, but I've got a pilot friend that's a big Notre Dame fan." I'm like. <laughs> Well, tell him my <laughs> Sad, sad. And last but certainly not least, um, I happen to have a very soft spot for this lady because she puts herself on the front line constantly for the labor movement, uh, whether it's through Standing Rock, whether it's through any and all of these uh, events where people are fighting on behalf of working people. She doesn't just talk the talk. She absolutely walks the walk. Frances Fisher, welcome for the first time and hopefully not the last time Hello. to generational change. SAG Astra, yes. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Great to be here. Did the two of you, well, okay, with the red glass, was this a planned thing? What? I, I feel like I need my red beret or something. What is happening here? It's the Fisher sisters. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. Yes. They're not really sisters. I didn't suggest I'm that they saying. were. I, I wasn't suggesting that. So whoever, I, I mean, obviously, David, you know, you obviously know this thing inside and out. Um, it's we pulled up an article uh, from NBC4 Los Angeles. Writer strike ends its fourth week with no progress being made. Why don't, if you could, for the audience, take it from the top exactly why we are here right now, how this all started, and what are the ultimate goals for the Writers Guild and what you hope to accomplish over the next several weeks is this clearly is going to be taking some time. Oh, big dummy. We love you. <laughs> well, the goals, for the, uh, the, the goals for the Writers Guild and the goals for the Directors Guild and the goals for uh, SAG-AFTRA, we have many similar goals, and this has uh, come to a confluence. Uh, in time. Um, we have uh, artificial intelligence issues that we need to resolve, um, uh, streaming residuals that need to be resolved, basic wages that need to, uh, uh, you know, be in compliance with uh, the uh, the economy and inflation. 
and then over on the SAG after side ourselves, we have separate and distinct issues that that uh, we have to deal with that are laid out over on the SAG after website. They talked about self taping. I know you guys in the world has heard about the issue of self taping and and uh, and that we need some kind of guardrails and and uh, guideposts when it comes to that. And we have also individual distinct uh, constituency groups that we need to take care of. Uh, our singers, dancers, background performers, stunt performers, um, those are our unique issues uh, to SAG-AFTRA. So the writers, you know, they went in, their, their contract expired the end of May, and I mean the beginning of May, and um, uh, they have not, from reports, they have not gone back in and discussed uh, further, uh, uh, you know, negotiations with the, uh, the, the entity that represents the studios is called the AMPTP, uh, represented by a, a, a woman named Carol Lombardini as the head of that organization. And, and, this, and, and they're, they're, they've joined together, that's the studios, the studios and the streamers uh, and the networks all joined together in that group, the AMPTP. So um, we seem to be in a similar, uh, uh, I don't wanna use the fight, but we're in a similar negotiation pattern and the directors are in there now. And then we go in, like I said, on June 7th, and both the directors and the actors, uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild, AFTRA, um, contracts and midnight June 30. So you're looking at uh, full four of the negotiators, myself, Jolie, uh, Francis, and Sean. We are all on the negotiating committee for, um, for SAG-AFTRA. And we're here to get the word out. Right now we have a strike authorization vote out to our members that has to be back by June 5th. We're looking for a strong uh, uh, yes vote and support to uh, to back us up as we go in on June 7th to tell the studios that we mean business. So I don't know if you guys uh, want to add anything. Um, you look formidable. Is- you all look extremely formidable. I mean, no, seriously, like this is a, you know, you guys are obviously not in the same position as a lot of people that are, you know, that are under the thumb of this and that really have the, and I so appreciate you all lending your privilege is what I call it. Um, it, and it's really important. I, I'm very, very grateful. But yeah, please talk about what you guys are going to do to get this through. I mean, I think that um, that people um, out there that are just maybe misinformed think that we're all screaming from mansions saying we want more, let them eat cake kind of a thing. We have 160,000 plus members that are that are I hate when we say middle class because I, 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 I think working people. Work it, you know, that it is negotiate for minimums. That's a very important thing to talk yes. about in this yes. contract. It's minimums we're, we're talking about. And things that haven't changed in decades. So there are there, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to fight for. Um, I, I love, I'm loving labor. I'm, I come from a unionist family, as you guys know, and um, I was elected to secretary treasurer this time around and was able to go sit in the, in the hall, the big hall in Philadelphia with the AFL-CIO and stand, sit side by side with people from all over this great country in the labor, you know, it's a movement. We have a president at the in, in Washington who has Cesar Chavez behind him and, and, and he's a real labor guy and got to sit wow. amongst steel workers and auto workers and nurses and teachers and just everybody all over and and felt a little bit like carny folk, as I usually do, but very, very um, important to be a part of the, the movement that's going on in the country. Yeah. 
somebody else. Come on. You guys are going to go in there. You got, you need, you know, you have no, arguments. Once, I, once everybody knows, once I start talking, I don't shut up. So it's, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> There's a few things based on your question. You know, the, the writers, one of the things that they're, I hear them and read about them talking about is um, the work that they're asked to do for free. They're constantly yeah. asked to do free work. Yeah. And then you think about our actors who, um, uh, who are self-taping, you know, and, and they'll get six, eight, nine, 12, 15 pages and say, oh, we need this by tomorrow. Or you get it on a Friday night and say, we need it by tomorrow morning or something like that. So they you know, are hungry to work and eager to work. And so, but, you know, say you have two auditions. Well, how are you going to make your, your shift as a waiter? Uh, you know, when you're, when you're, if you're trying to put any, uh, you know, real intention and quality into what you're doing, which we all do. So, you know, the, 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 what's really at stake, I think, in the labor movement right now across, like Julie was saying, the whole sweep of American labor, but but certainly in America and uh, entertainment labor is just like people being able to make a living doing this. A lot of people can't can't make a living. You know, there's a few people who work all the time and God bless them. And then there's other people who are fighting and fighting or trying to get in. But then there's a large group of people who are working and they've just been watching contract after contract after contract. Their their benefits, you know, get sort of squeezed. Their money gets squeezed. Their turnaround times get squeezed. They're just getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And now I think mostly because of what David called what is uh, related was called streaming video, which is basically like the way everybody experiences entertainment. And there's no continuing financial uh, participation anymore. There used to be residuals. And then that's kind of like, you know, augured in and, and now, and now what? So for me, it's very easy to, um, what do you say? Share privilege. Uh, Lend when, your privilege. Yeah. Lending privilege. Uh, because I know that, um, you know, the, the, a well-placed comment in the right meeting or the right arms folded in a glare in a negotiation, and you can actually help people get their money on time, help people get paid the way they're supposed to get paid. And honestly, when you're at the end of your life and you're looking back, if you can have helped some people like that, that that's more meaningful than most of the other things you do in this world. What would you guys say is uh, the biggest hindrance right now? I mean, there's only so much that people really understand about how things work in terms of negotiation, what goes into making a film, what goes into making a television show, what goes into making a series. Um, there is a lot of time and effort that is involved in that, but the writing component is maybe the most uh, under uh, underappreciated of it all. Uh, without the writing, you know, what what do you have? Uh, people constantly talk about the script is amazing. You know, I really, I, I believe in what's being written here and I think I can bring it to life as an entertainer. So uh, who are the people that you would say are definitely standing in the way of doing what is necessary to make sure that those that are putting in the work as they have, as they obviously do at an exponentially high level. Are you wanting them to name plutocrats? Well, I mean, name whoever you want. I know Francis won't hesitate. I was just going to say I'm just saying, are you wanting names? Like, what are you asking? No, no, it's, uh, you, you call it the AMBTP. And uh, it's the studios and the streamers because they're finding ways to shortcut us and, and keep all of us from getting residuals when something moves over to streaming. And it's not right. No. Is there anything like... 
if, if everybody were to strike, let's say, is there any sort of support network that you guys have in place for people that will not be able to afford to do so? That's always what I think is one of the biggest problems we have in this country is we don't have this sense of collective and sense of if we had the network in place for people to do a general strike, that would be amazing. But people can't afford to do that. You know, that's that's the biggest problem is what happens when they walk. Well, the WGA has three different uh, organizations that are already supplying WGA members with uh, help. And uh, SAG-AFTRA has uh, 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 entities in the same way that are that are set up. I was just going to say something to the previous question about uh, who who is to, uh, you know, where do you locate the responsibility for this? And, you know, the temptation is to say the shareholders or the executives who are making, you know, $150 million while they can't pay the writers 1500 like whatever the, the money is. So, but I, I, I honestly, I, I think we may have as a community, as a, as a entertainment consuming community, a film loving, television loving community, we may have mythologized something in the wrong way. You know, when somebody's, uh, gets nominated for a, a screenplay uh, for an Oscar or something that we, these, the story, the narrative story is like how this person quested for 15 years of their life, clawing and scraping and everything else. And then they find the able to get, and we love this idea of like what it takes to, to, to have these extraordinary stories. And those are there, but we also have an industry, a consistent, persistent People working day in and day out industry where writers do work all the time. You know, you turn on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Apple and you turn on NBC and you turn on all these things. There's an endless amount of 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 of, of programming that's out there. And there are people who are working on these programs. And so, you know, we eat the wheat that the farmers make for us and we consume the entertainment that the entertainers make for us. And we have to make sure that the people who are doing the guts of the work get some of the money. And it's really a small amount of the money that they're they're getting. And it's where they're only really asking for a, a small amount of the money. So, you know, to me, the corollary for the the shareholders who are these people who only want profit by design and the public that doesn't understand how things work is just, you're looking for a little bit of leadership. You're looking for people who understand the game board and are saying, this is a moment where we know what to do and we know what to do. And now we need your help. And so as people come to vote yes on the, the strike authorization vote. And as they, they lean in to understand a little bit about these stories, have a little confidence that you, that, you know, your instinct is right. And then as you learn more and more, as you go along, you'll be like, oh my God, they're only asking for that. And can I vote twice on the strike strike authorization vote? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm from a position where I would like everybody to strike. When we had the possibility of a railroad worker strike and I'm thinking, ooh, and the UPS workers are thinking too. And if that happened at the same time, you know, like, uh, but I come from a position where it doesn't hurt me. You know, and so I I don't want to be like cavalier about it. But the reality is, is that this needs to happen and people need to be significantly inconvenienced. And it's not going to just be some and obviously not this president isn't very helpful to this. But um, don't get me started on what he did. And he stopped with the railroad. Like I can't with him. But But you got but you guys have been in the business since the 80s. I mean, you remember 
it, the shock wave of what Reagan did. Things to, existed before. No, the I, that's not what I, I, I know. A, I you worked here I'm since then. Here. He's been here since the eighties. I have. I, I'm Some of us kid. existed before that. Seventies. Seventies. Sixties. I've been here since they, they were making. Dave, I have to say, you had one of the most insane throws I've ever seen in my life. I have to. Thank you. And it all, it all left the top of my head and went to uh, my beard. Went right my to the nose. When Reagan fired the air traffic controllers in the summer of '81, um, that was that was a message that was being sent clear across the battle labor that you're next. Like we're coming for you. You're all on the chopping block. You're. You think you're getting a week off from work? Forget it. You're not getting anything. We're, you know, t- t- we're, we're talking. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There we go. Proof that the aging process can decimate a human being. You know, you guys, uh, you said something about, you know, can we afford to strike? And this has come to a place where can you afford to work? Um, oh, yeah. It is, you know, Sean talked about self-taping and talked about, uh, you know, not having any back end or any insignificant back end anymore when it comes to residuals uh, for us. You, you know, the writers and and the directors uh, and and uh, we actors and performers, you know, it's become a gig economy for us. And you can't have gig workers doing um, career work. Uh, you know, we're all career performers here and we bring a lot to the table when we do go to work. You know, you have seven or eight pages you need to shoot in a day. You know, we know our words. We hit our marks. We know how the machinery works of making this product and we get we move everything forward. You cannot have hobbyists in these situations, writing, directing or performing. You need professionals that do this uh, on a professional basis. So, you know, uh, what has happened with the network model from uh, the 50s on is that there were residuals that were put in place in 1960, by the way, um, for our performances to be repurposed. And uh, what's happened in the streaming arena is that those uh, residuals for repurposing our work have diminished to the point where you can't make a living anymore. So that's what we're fighting for. The writers are fighting for the same thing and the directors. So again, you know, we have this confluence where all of our contracts are coming up at the same time. And um, we are going to use this leverage this time to actually make some significant increases. Let me ask you something, because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, is there any link between your union and consumers in terms of like organizing consumers? Because as somebody who pays an inordinate amount of money for all different services and knowing that people are making a lot of money somewhere, um, I would think that if like, let's say a whole bunch of consumers one day just decided to like unplug from stuff like what does that do like is there any sort of correlation between what you're doing and an outside sort of you know movement i'm going to personally call each and every netflix subscriber and ask them to turn off the television (laughs) well i'm just saying what if there was what if there was a blackout day what if there was you know that that consumers did in solidarity um with the industry you know, that's the kind of stuff where I think you get attention because they're not going to like losing consumers. It would be so incredible if that sort of civil action could uh, could could take place across the, the planet. And what we noticed in COVID is that things we never thought were possible are within, you know, one calendar day possible. 
Um, I think, you know, what's more likely to happen is they, they don't realize maybe on some level that they need to be generating their, their, their content. Um, you know, I think they're a little, little fat and cushy right now because they just sit in their towers and 8 million people come pouring through their doors, you know, showing them their wares, hoping they'll say yes to them. People that you can't imagine in a million years would need to go and pitch their stuff. And so they sit back and they, they're, they, they have the opportunity to be very selective and choose, but these job actions. And by the way, we're not on strike. The SAG, SAG after is not on strike. We don't want to go on strike. You know, I don't think the directors, no one wants to go on strike. I'm sure the writers don't want to be on strike right now. It's a, supposed to be a, 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 an action of absolute last resort and not as a rhetorical thing. It really needs to be of last resort. But if the eventuality was to present itself where the, where three unions, for example, were on strike at the same exact moment, I think they would start to realize, I think it would start to hurt them from the inside. So it'd be great to have support from the outside, like have everybody of a dark day where they're not going to watch something. I don't know how much of that it would take to hurt them. But I, I think when the professional people who they rely on to make the the product, you know, if all the, you know, whatever fish workers go home and the fisheries are dark for a minute, then, you know, they're not selling fish. So we've got some fish to sell. <laughs> To sell. Take away anything from today. Just know Sean Ashton says, we got some fish to sell. <laughs> and, two, and two of our negotiators are named Fisher, so I don't know what I did there. <laughs> you did a good play on words there, my friend. It was, it was unintentional, but beautiful. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of an off-topic uh, point, but, you know, California's been trying to do uh, high-speed rail for a very long time, and we're huge advocates for that particular type of infrastructure, which never really seems to catch on, and I think we all know why. Uh, but I do think for those that struggle to afford to live in Los Angeles County and Orange County, that it would be a lot easier to be able to bring in people from different parts of the state. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the reason in California in particular that it's been taking such a long time is the goal of the high-speed rail system is to run it to the Central Valley and to be able to include Fresno, Sacramento, and places like that. Um, how much of a difference do you think it would make for people to be able to afford to work in places like Los Angeles, to work in the industry, if there was better infrastructure in California? We constantly hear about the traffic problems in Los Angeles. How much of a difference do you think that would make in terms of cost of living for people that work in the industry, if there was a much more robust infrastructure system? Wow. <laughs> Work in the industry. You're going to locate it in the in the entertainment industry. If the if California had a solid infrastructure system like that, I mean, my first instinct is that high quality infrastructure and and transportation systems improve everything. I, it's hard for me to work. You know, we're we're right now trying to confirm our tax. Uh, breaks that we get in California. All the different states are competing for different tax incentives to help uh, production. So I'm my brain is cycling over to that for a minute. I don't know that um, someone working in Fresno is going to be able to show up for a, uh, a 7.30 call time at Burbank <laughs> Studio, you know, at the, at the Warner Brothers Studios because they have a better. So I, I have to think through the math of that a little bit. But, you know, I, don't, I would never want to speak against the uh, ability for people to live and travel reasonably and safely. Everything is very expensive there. Okay, Francis. Yeah. Well, it, it just depends on where the productions are. They're all over the country and all over the world now. You know, California is not the center of movies and television as it was back when we were coming up. No, there's been this huge influx to Georgia. 
that that I've that I've noticed since, and you know, just being here, I've driven through it. So, um, yeah, it's everywhere. It's wherever well, they get know, good deals. The, well, all the Hallmark movies yeah. are filmed in Canada, so you got yeah. you got figures Hallmark movies in Canada. The, the, oh, our oh. union has twenty five locals all over the country, and mm-hmm. in each local, they have different um, resources and different. Um, amenities that they want to provide to potential filmmakers and, and you know, to, structure. they have their own leadership structure internally. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, th- Georgia has been massive, but Netflix has built a huge facility in New Mexico. So you're going to start to hear about the, the work in New Mexico. There's for a long time, North Carolina, then it was, you know, Chicago's got great stuff. So the, there's enough business in this business to spread out and, and, have people in, you know, across the country and in Canada and New Zealand. And I know that one in Australia and England, you know, there's, there's plenty of work to go around. So I like, I like thinking about the, uh, infra- the, the rail infrastructure though. That's a good one. Well, let me ask you like, so what, what are you really like, how do you get your cut? How do you get everybody their cut from the streamers? How do you get them to give up basically their share when it's not something they have to do? Like, what is it you're wanting from them? It's a percentage. That's all. It's like the WGA has said they only want two to 3%. You know, we, we can't talk about what's in our, you know, negotiating package, but it's not, people just want to make a living and their rent and feed their families and their medicine. You You know, know, when you do, when you do the economics, you know, this is talk about Los Angeles. What's the average rent in Los Angeles? Two thousand dollars a month. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's higher than yeah. that. For what? Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm trying. I'll just lowball it. You know, what's yeah. your car payment? Three hundred dollars a month. What's gas here? Yeah. The only way to get around in Los Angeles is to have a car because of what you just mentioned. You know, a yeah. poor public transportation infrastructure. When you're looking at you know just to survive, you know, and not be on a tent in the street, you have to be netting what thirty five hundred dollars a month. To survive, well, when you have a day rate at uh, for an actor to show up for a thousand eighty-two dollars, or background performers at one hundred and eighty dollars for the day, um, you know, if you you look at us at a professional performer who's doing television shows and guest starring, if you do five guest stars in a year, that would be pretty good, right? Well, that's six thousand dollars over a year, gross. How are you supposed to survive in in a town like Los Angeles? Where the work is, not saying that this is where all the work is, you know, where it's going to cost you three three thousand to thirty five hundred dollars uh, a month to live. Therefore, you become a gig worker. You cannot be a professional performer uh, where the, where you're concentrating on your craft, uh, where you have to go have a, a you know a, a a real a primary job and then a secondary job. And a lot of it stems from uh, the way our residual structures are set up. It used to be. That, you know, uh, when I started in the 60s, 70s and 80s and before that, that the day rates were commensurate with what the living expenses were, where if you were an actor and you were out there and you were actually working and participating, meaning auditioning, you know, for real, not sending in a self tape that nobody sees, but uh, building relationships that you could um, you could sustain yourself as a professional performer. That's not the case now. And it is to the industries and to the boss's detriment 
that they are not going to have a professional workforce to draw on. And therefore, it compromises the product they're going to be putting out. So we are not asking for anything extraordinary. We're asking for a fair share and a professional wage for the work that we do and what we bring to the thing. Listen, without us, there's no product. Without the writers, there's no product. Without the directors coordinating everybody and having the overall vision, there is no product. So just pay us fairly. That's all we're asking. What has happened is our contracts, and it's partially our fault too, we have allowed them uh, to erode to a point where you cannot be a journeyman performer anymore and make a living solely as a performer. And when, when that comes to fruition, you've crashed that industry. And we're trying to save the business that we love so much. And it's not as if they're not seeing record profits. See, that's the thing that I don't think, you know, people really put together. It's when when they're being stingy, it's not as if, oh, we're really going through hard times here and we all sort of have to take one for the team. It's we're making more and more and more money and yet we're still acting like we're not. Well, we took one, we've took one for the team many times and we're not gonna get played like that anymore. We took one for the team in video cassettes we took one for the team in DVDs. We took one for the team in the growing cable industry. We're not going to take one for the team anymore in streaming. Uh, enough already. Uh, we Good. want all we want is to get paid a professional wage. While you guys are all living in Bel Air and on boats and jets. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, the WGA has an issue about uh, AI because you know I've read as we all have many, many uh, reports of, you know, they want to have an AI be the first writer on a series and have 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 uh, human beings come in and punch up the scripts, which is is like unsustainable. That's the end of civilization. (laughs) That's the we've reached a point where why why do we even be here? Like I, that's just ridiculous. And to think that AI is going to be able to do that, that the, anybody who thinks that is someone who has no appreciation of art, because I don't see how that's possible. I don't well, think, that, you know, go, go on, go on the internet and see that little girl dancing around. She's completely made up, you know, and uh, there, I, I feel that the public has kind of be, been trained to uh, look at stuff that's not as good as it used to be but you know human beings expressing themselves in real time is so much better than an ai bot who's you know doing an animated thing and people can't see the difference because they've been so conditioned to seeing people you know with with faces that have been changed (laughs) i i gotta say what you you just answered your question from earlier. Uh, you know, what do people need to know? And you went, and then just now you said an appreciation for art. Yeah. And I think if people were to develop a, a, an appreciation for what it is they're experiencing when they're watching it, what the lighting is, what the music is, what the what the actors are doing. You know, we know that you can appreciate an actor's body of work. You know, we know you can go to IMDb and scroll through and see what else somebody has done. But then somehow when it gets to watching it, we just kind of tune out a little bit like our critical thinking system and we don't we're just experiencing it it's just a flood of emotions and ideas and images and sound just coming at us and if we if we become you know we don't want to argue for the buggy whip ai is coming so god bless it bring on ai but we're going to be smarter 
and we're gonna we're gonna outflank AI by being more creative, more interesting, more talented, and smarter at negotiating. And and consumers should support that. Yeah. Well, consumers should support people having a living wage. But I think what tends to happen is when people appreciate a movie or they appreciate a show, they always pin it on the top person like anything else. Like at the end of the, you know, a whole Super Bowl win, you're looking at the MVP and the coach. You're not looking at every single person who's worked for that team. And so I think that's a big part of this. So people look at the top people and yeah, they're looking like they're doing pretty well. Right. Like, so you know, it's hard for people to just grasp how much work goes into stuff that's beyond that's below the surface. To, to go back to our first moment when we were joking about Rudy and Notre Dame, the thing that's really cool about that movie that I did is that it celebrates the last guy on the bench. Yes. It says you've got this incredible institution that has lots of money and, and mythology and and, you know, uh, quality and everything that the University of Notre Dame represents. But there's and they embraced us telling this story of the last guy on the bench. So I like that we're in a moment in America where, um, you know, it's a struggle between the truth. You know, Tom, Tom Hanks just gave the uh the commencement address of my daughter's Harvard graduation and, and he, the, the, the sweet spot of his remarks had to do with protecting the truth. And, and, and we, um, we, we have to, we're at a moment in American life where because of how things were for a number of years, people want it. They, they want to protect the little guy. They want to, they want to acknowledge the working people. You know, Jolie said at the beginning, you know, Biden has a bust of Chavez on the back of his, desk at, in the Oval Office. We're in a moment where labor is appreciated. At any moment, there's like a thousand labor actions. At least this was true six months ago. I don't know. I haven't looked at it lately, but there are labor actions going on all over the country every day. So, you know, we, um, I know that in some of our imagery that we put out to support things, we ha- we invoke some of that great revolutionary strike stuff. And I want to find the balance between that and the fact that as laborers, we can be pro um, profit. You can, if you have good people working really hard on something, it's going to make more money than if you squeeze it and make it with people who aren't necessarily as good. So there's going to be more capitalism to go around if you protect the worker. This is my premise. I think it's an excellent premise. Well, that's the truth for overall. When working when working people have disposable income, everybody does better. That's the whole point. You know, that's why the people at the top are not understanding that their capitalism is imploding because pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. And they're at a point now where they just are not willing to share. And it, they don't realize that it's what keeps the top sustained is when the bottom people can actually spend money. Which also doesn't really make a lot of sense logistically. You know, the they're not lo- these are not long-term thinkers. Okay. These are yeah. these are not like, you know, really advanced thinkers. These are the, let's the make system, money now. The system is well, not a long-term system. Thank no. you, Sean. It's yes. the system that's broken, and people do not talk about that enough. They think that, yeah, we can, you know, throw Trump against the wall, we can throw DeSantis against the wall. Look, the system is broken, and oh, yes. people like this get born out of it. You know, when people are squeezed so tight that they can't breathe, what do you expect them to do? They're not just going to stand around and wait for it. They're going to fight back. Disrupt the system. Yes, we're, I'm tr- I, we need a revolution. Yeah, Fran- France is giving a shout out to her very good friend, Marianne. Of course, that is a great Peace line. Revolution, a not a revolution. 
Yes, but it's absolutely. It's the system that needs to be disrupted in our country. And it's also the system that needs to be disrupted in our industry. Yes. It's the same thing. Yes. Trickle down idea does not work. And people have got to get off that because it's unsustainable. One of the greatest films ever made was a film that had almost no budget whatsoever. And it's just two men in a coffee shop in New York City having a conversation called My Dinner with Andre. And you are never going to see a movie like that made today and promoted heavily by the studios, whether it's Paramount, whether it's DreamWorks. They are not going to make a movie like that because the message of that movie is to make you think. Uh, that is not what they want today, what they want. And I have, listen, I have nothing against Robert Downey. I have nothing against Jeremy Renner. If you want to keep making Marvel movies where you just blow a bunch of shit up all day, every day, but there's no real character development in what you're selling. I, I do think there's that, action figures. But there's, well, yeah, you got to promote. You got to make money. There's but, character development in those movies, but they shouldn't be the only thing. No. I agree. Uh, and I do think that the thought provoking type of movies I wish we had more of that. Now, do you guys think that there's a reflection in what has happened in with the Writers Guild, how they've been just completely undermined, that writing is not the same that it once was? Do you think there's any correlation there as far as that's concerned? I don't understand your question. Meaning that because the industry has been just so undermined that they are trying to cut out the legs uh, the, the, uh, Basically, the, the, it yeah. seems like somebody's run out of ideas and all we keep saying are like superhero sequels I think it's the opposite. Over, and over and over again. I think it's the opposite. I think that that particularly in, in um, kind of our drama television and now in these like five year, uh, five season shows on the on the streaming things where you can you can go into it and you can live in it for, for five years and or for whatever, 30 episodes. I think there's more than enough. In fact, one of the hard things is when you have so much good talent and so many good ideas, they can just take the pick of the litter and not pay anybody. So we got to sort of be like, hey, you know, we're going to protect our people who have good stuff going on. Yeah. Oh, I think there's amazing stuff. Like I find all sorts of cool stuff out there. And a lot of it is stuff that isn't from here. It's I, I don't you know, there's so many good things that streaming has allowed that gives people access to. And that's a good thing. As long as the people are being compensated for it accordingly, you know, like I like the variety. I, I think that we have to uh, pray if that's something that you do or whoever you do it to um, that that we come into like a renaissance after this, that there that beautiful pieces of art, paintings, theater, theater and film and television come from, uh, you know, out of a dark period the, during the plague uh, Shakespeare wrote great tragedies and comedies and you know that 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 we that there is a renaissance coming that the writers are standing firm on the on, on you know walking the picket line and if we have to do it we will too but our, our our series of thoughts and things like that don't end I'm thinking of something I can write right now you know like I I, I think I feel like we have to hold back the dawn a little bit and 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 know that um, we're always going to be creative humans. We're always going to have new thoughts and new feelings and we want to move people. And I, and just to get back to the AI thing, it doesn't move anybody. That doesn't move anybody. When I see it on screen, I'm like, I'm watching what a computer generated. I want to see stories. I want to see m me reflected on screen. I want to see my family and my friends and, and, and what I'm going through in my life reflected on the screen. And if I need to write it, I'll write it. I'm not a WGA writer, by the way. Um, but I, I know those people on those lines and I know what they're fighting for and I know how clever they are. 
and just how talented they are. And, and I feel the same way about our group. I mean, I think that we're fighting to, to stay in this in a big, beautiful way, not to, uh, to let it go. Disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it's taken a long time for civilization to respect the artist and we're not going to let it go backwards. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm an art lover and I'm an art wannabe. And I can say, though, my greatest contribution to date is I have birthed a musician. I have created a musician that is on this planet. Exactly. And, a, and he is a hell of a piano player. Yes, he is. And so that is my contribution to the arts. Well, the upside down of it all is that if there weren't writers and directors and performers and crew and craftspeople, there wouldn't be any studios. They need us. And we've all been programmed to think that we're, we need them. And uh, it's upside down. Well, the, the, I, I just picture the, your, your child, the musician, all the uh, studios, the great studios where musicians can go in to record. And like, what if there was nobody in them? They're just, oh, yeah. they're just panels of dials and stuff. But if there isn't somebody on the other side of the glass doing something, it's not yeah. a fascinating room to stay in for more than a minute or two. No, certainly not. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, you just there, there is a lack. There has been this this lack uh, of appreciation for labor and for just crushing labor at every turn for so long. I am curious, though, are there are there any heads without naming any names? Are there any heads of any major studios? Like, that- who should we who should we be boycotting? Like, if I'm going to say, OK, I'm going to not watch this service or this particular business or this particular thing like. Sometimes it's impossible, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can. Sometimes it's something. And, and is there anybody at the top that is fighting the good fight on behalf yeah. of workers? So who do we need to hate? Who do we need to hate and who do we need to support? Well, it's, no, it's more who do we want to support versus not. Right. Yeah, and it's, my money is, it's labor right now. For my money, you look at the WGA, the DGA and, and SAG-AFTRA and you look at the leaders who are in those spots, us and, and the, the, you know, our spokes persons and uh and wait to see what they're saying and uh and that you know because they there is an interesting thing this this amptp thing we're talking about association of motion picture and television alliances something like that producers yeah producers right yeah they they, uh that we're all we're all meeting so all of the goodness and all of the evil that may exist in the corporate capitalist whatever world of they're all meeting and we're all going to talk to them and we're going to see if we can come to terms and hopefully we can and if we can't we want the public to say that's not fair. And so, well, you know, there's there, I, you know, this is my ninth TV theatrical negotiation. My first one was 1998. So I've been doing this a long time. And my instincts are, is that there will be a person or persons in the, at the top who will pop up and, and uh, hopefully in a, in a, in an heroic way. Uh, the way this dynamic works is that we on like our negotiating committee is a certain number of people and it's a democratic process. If there were 20 people, if 11 voted to take one direction, the other nine uh, would would accede to the majority's rule over at the AMPTP. And it's for very good reasons. They must have unanimous votes in the directions that they take because they don't want to have the studios throw the networks, throw the streamers under a bus. 
and gang up on one entity and have, you know, uh, you know, a, an 11 to nine vote. So they must have unanimity. So uh, but at the same time, one person could with uh, with great gravitas could stand up and say, I'm here. I want to save what we're doing and because I need to save the business. So there's that dynamic. And in and, and the, the writers and the directors and we all deal with this AMPTP. Which in, in which in sense in a sense is just think of the AMPTP as the network studios and and, and streamers union, that's their union, right? And and uh, so the AMPTP is their organization. SAG after in our case is ours. Writers Guild is the writers. Directors is the directors. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, you know the uh, over the past twenty years, in my opinion, the unions have acquiesced. And um, and uh, rightfully, I think this, this, the AMPTP says, hey, we've rolled them before. Let's roll them again. So uh, but we're here to show you a face of we're not in the rolling business anymore. Uh, we're in the in the grown up, mature, responsible negotiating business now. We're not strident, but we're powerful. Uh, we're not here to hold up a deal. We're here to make the right deal. And we're not here to get what we want. We're here to get what we need. So that's the dynamic that I see at play. I don't know, guys, what do you think? I think you said it very well, David. Thank you, Jolie. <laughs> Who all is going to see this podcast, by the way, because we want to, again, say to every sag after member out there who has not voted yet to go to your email from sag after and get your PIN number and vote yes. We'll this, a, is a unique, we'll this is a unique moment. I mean, I think every six years, our um, we well, every three years we have these uh, these new we, we start fresh, so to speak. Actually, we start we have the basic agreement and then we're going to change the stuff that's on top of the agreement. But what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that I think we're in a new moment. Technology has changed. COVID affected people's lives and their attitudes and their mentalities. We, you know, we're we're at a, the quality of things is such now, and people have so many different options on how to consume stuff. We're at like a really interesting, cool moment. And everybody has to play their part. The, exe the, the executives have to do good work. You know, the producers have to do good work. We, we, I can spend another moment lauding them and talking about how wonderful they are and how creative they are and how talented they are. But then this is our moment to say, no, no, now you actually have to respect us and you have to respect the needs of our people. And so I have every confidence that we'll be as firm as we need to, like DJ said, being responsible, not being pigs about it, but wanting to just make sure that we we have what we need for our people. That's that's what we're, I, I'm committed to doing that. And it, there's no reason I can't. <laughs> it's a three year contract, you know, and this is the time to make these changes, because in three years, God knows where our business will be. Oh, <laughs> This yeah. this shit show just gets worse and worse. Like we have no idea what's going to be here in three years. There was a phrase, a contract oh, phrase that I memorized when I was 12, when I did Goonies. I think it was Goonies. It might even been before Goonies. I did another show before Goonies with Elliot Gould. Uh, and it was throughout the universe in all media now known or hereafter devised something, something in perpetuity, in perpetuity throughout the universe in all media now known or hereafter devised. That was language they had in 1980. 
Why did they have that language in 1980? What did they know in 1980? <laughs> well, here it is, 2020. What are we, two, three, something like that? And uh, we've we've learned a little bit about why they wanted that language in there. And now yeah. we're going to say actually that language might not have been as fair. And you know, as and as it's it also been. you know, it's also you guys. It's very simple, but it's also very complicated. This is the contract that we're talking about. It's 700 oh, pages. That's Man, that's a lot. 700. Let's talk about the trees. Jeez. Well, just, well, the trees, but this, this book (laughs) um, has grown over uh, 70 years since 1935. And uh, whatever that math is to 35 to 25, it's more, it's 80 some odd years. Um, And so there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of, there's a lot of entrenchedness. There's a lot of, you know, uh, when you walk onto a lot at Universal or or at Sony or uh, at Warner Brothers, you're walking onto a factory, you know. But the thing is, is that we as factory workers, like we're building a car frame, uh, we're not just building the car frame. We're inventing it at the same time. So um, the creative force needs to be recognized. Uh, we are not just laborers. We are creators. So and uh, and we're not looking we're not looking for excessiveness. We're looking for stability as far as being able to live financially and to be able to um, truly participate in the business that we create. Yes. 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 (laughs) You know, but think about You know, the thing, the thing that you guys have talked about as we wind down the conversation is um, the impact of, of what you do and how these things come to life. Some of the most uh, impactful films um, that we've ever seen or shows that we've ever seen, uh, the landmark show that was Ellen, the landmark movie that was The Goonies or Rudy, the landmark films that were Unforgiven or Titanic. Um, These films, these moments mean so much to so many people. And I think we've kind of lost sight of just how important that is um, when you recognize all the work, the labor that goes into making these things possible, these dreams possible. Dreams do come true. And I think it's very possible, like you said, that it's, it's going to be somewhat, as you said, Jolie, it's going to be a renaissance when we come out of this. But there's going to be a lot of aches and pains. And Lord knows how long this strike might last, because it's very likely it's what's coming. But you have our full support, 1,000%. And that's why we are transforming politics into service. We're trying. That's what we're doing. I feel like Sisyphus. <laughs> you don't look like Sisyphus. Welcome um, to the club. <laughs> the, the funny... The, the, there's strategy going on. The fact yeah. that the writers have been on strike for, tw- is it 21 days? What did you say? No, it's longer than that. It's 25, it's days. Weeks. 25 days with, with no, with no real push from the, you know, I suppose from a legal contractual thing, if their contract expired, it's like, well, we don't have to have a deal. We don't have to have a deal, but we're going to wait and see what we do with the directors. And we're going to wait and see what we do. It's, um, it's mean. Yeah, it's mean. It's not fair. It's not right. They should be negotiating a good, healthy deal with their people. And if they're going to keep waiting and if it finally gets to our time, well, well, help us on the way, man. <laughs> because well, I think their excuse is that they're in the middle of negotiations with the DGA. They can't possibly split off. And and well, they're, 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 they're waiting to see, Francis. They're waiting yeah, to see exactly. if they can roll the DGA or if they can roll SAG after. Yeah. And Sean so just. 
if Bob you look, just told you what we're our plan is. So yeah, if you if you look at the the writer's story right now, right, and then you think about what the public, how's the public watching it, and you see that you've got Act Two has the directors in the middle, and Act Three's got the writers, all in a very close calendar frame. That's the important thing to understand. We're all bunched together in the calendar yeah. right now. Then then you know you can look at what our union has said that we put out a a unanimous agreement on our proposal and a unanimous agreement on this strike authorization. This our union has not been known over the last 20 years of being unanimous on stuff. Our union's been known for infighting and frustration and everything else. There is a new era for SAG-AFTRA and the writers and the directors should take heart knowing that. Yeah. Well, they count on being able to divide and play yeah disrupt this and play you guys against each other almost like, you know, turning somebody against another uh, you know, co-conspirator yeah, that will not happen this time that well, will not happen this time. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and i think that you know that was something that was different about the railroad workers this this time going around too is that you had 12 unions fighting as one and we're definitely seeing much more solidarity amongst unions which i think ultimately is what i mean look if you know shama sawant could like take over and slowly infiltrate all the unions and bring them all together for one general strike that would be ideal well, look at Chris Smalls and what he did with Amazon, you yeah, know, he's going around the country or helping to organize other people in other locals and stuff like that. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah. We need a lot of that. No, it's a microcosm of the entire haves and have nots fight that's been going on forever. You know, they even. And we appreciate it when haves fight for have nots. Absolutely. One thousand percent. That's the that's what I mean. That's the job. Uh, this has been more than educational. This has been therapeutic, I would say, for a lot of us. And we will be fighting right along each and every one of you. Uh, we stand with labor now and always. David Jolliffe, Charlie Fisher, Francis Fisher, Sean Aston. Best of luck. When you guys win what everything that you should be winning and you get what you should get. Maybe I can come out and have a beverage with you. Oh, you're going to be in. Yeah. I'm very happy to go. I was going to joke on the studio, but we'll be happy to buy you a beverage. <laughs> come uh, to the picket line. Come walk the picket I, line. I absolutely will do that for sure. Yeah. It does, it's not just union members, that, you yeah. know, it's bodies. Yeah, it's, no, I would mark. Oh, oh, we, I mean, we listen, go to those the, things. Yeah, all but time. it's not, but it's not happening here. I mean, we are in the free That's state of. We are in the very free state of right to work, we, Florida. The best we get to do oh, is show up at protests. Yeah, we're in South Florida. Yeah. So the best we do is show up at protests, basically trying to even get to have the right to to actually we're have just trying to. We're just trying to warn the rest of the country what you don't want to be because because <laughs> make America Florida. <laughs> Not a good plan. Yeah, I don't know what. Not, not a good line. plan. Not very smart. Right? <laughs> when I when I hear that, when I hear that sense about the, of frustration, I smell opportunity. Yeah. I smell probably there are tens of millions of Floridians who are with you, and you just well, have to figure out how I'm to organize. Part of, um, what are you fighting for, right? Yeah, now? so we fortunately are a state that does allow ballot initiatives, and that's one thing people don't understand. They say Florida's red. Florida's not red. Florida's been hijacked by a red legislature. Florida is actually kind of populist. We voted for a $15 minimum wage here um, the same year we voted for Trump. And I say co we collectively, not we. Um, but so we are now getting abortion rights back and we are going to get them on the ballot for 24. It will overwhelmingly pass. 
Um, it's just a matter of getting enough petitions signed and to get it on the ballot. And that's what we're doing now. So we are a hub for that. We, we have the right to privacy in our constitution here. And apparently that's not specific enough. So our ballot initiative literally puts right to abortion shall not be impeded, blah, blah, blah. Like we're literally having to give that to ourselves. I want to send you something um, that uh, has been on the, on Twitter for a while. And I just saw that this amazing Twitter thread was made into a book called Ejaculate Responsibly. Oh. So, but this is this is turning the whole abortion issue on its head because women have been programmed to think that it's all our fault. It's us. When in truth, maybe one or two days a month, a woman can get pregnant. But what can a man do? Ten times a day, he yeah. can get a woman. Oh, pregnant. we almost got out alive. Well, we're going to get out, but I will say my husband's in discussion. My husband's a urologist, so I'm forever promoting vasectomies. I hand out cards left and right. I'm like, you guys should do something about that. Well, I'm glad we've ended this whole thing on responsible ejaculation. I'm glad that this affects <laughs> Sean, please tell Sean, please tell me your thoughts on Florida and know that I'm a native second generation born. I'm so gonna to, say that when I, I think of Florida in its totality, I'm gonna think of that vibrant activist community that's that may be the majority and look forward to watching it grow and develop, not just given to the way the uh, headlines are describing the horror. Yeah, show. remember that we're down here. We don't get we don't make the news. We there is a decent fight in Florida. And even the people that aren't all the way on the left are not right here. Right here. Right now. You're making the news. OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We make our own news. That's why we do this. <laughs> well, I'm sure we could carry this on for another hour. You guys are fun. Question. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. And as Jen suggested, as long as, well, not as long, when everything goes yeah. according to plan, Come out we hope to have you guys Come. back for another time. Absolutely. Thank you all You're so much. Time, you guys. Thank nice you so to meet much. you. Thank you for putting this together, David. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Amazing panel. It was so much fun. Amazing. How much fun is that? Francis is such a badass. You know, they all are. You know what? Look, I, I very much appreciate it. And you know that it's important when I feel like people lend their privilege. It's a very important thing. I feel like it's and you sort often of like wonder if you have so much other why you wouldn't want that to be the case. But, you know, we are we've been led to. Well, we've been led to believe. And you know what? The, that's that's what's pastors. so interesting, because I remember like when we were running the amount of people that would come up and thank me. I still get that. Like people thank me. And it's so interesting to me. And I always say it's it's my privilege. That's my like, that's my privilege. Literally, that's my privilege, because especially right. nowadays, regular people can't run. It costs us ten thousand dollars just to get on the ballot in, in Florida. People can't just do that. No. And so and so, yes, yes. Only privileged people, unfortunately, in this country are able to mount campaigns. It shouldn't be that way. But when you thank somebody, you're thanking somebody who is usually, not always, usually pretty privileged. And it should be their pleasure and their privilege to serve. But that's not the way the political system should be. And unfortunately, the way that this system has been constructed and the people who are literally making decisions for us right now about how 
our money is being allocated. I know that there is these very specific terms that Steve does not want me to use. So I'm not going to, I'm going to allow him to explain. Please, I got to pack a fresh bowl. Well, do what you got to do. Okay. But uh, what I will say is that right now, the people who do not want us to have a basic standard of living are people of such a level of privilege that they can't actually fathom what it's like. And one thing that I forgot to mention this when we were all on with them before is it's not a pie. See, that's the thing. Like the people at the top have the people in the middle convinced that it's a pie. That way they all try to exclude the people at the bottom. It but the is, reality is it's not a pie. It is a pie at no. the local and state level. Okay, at the federal that I, level well, where these decisions are being made, no, it is not. I'm not even talking just that, okay? I'm talking just in life in general. Uh, it is not just, a pie. It's pot cookies, people. It's uh, an endless supply of pot cookies. Steve Grumbine, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, Steve. Hey, hey. How are you all? Sorry I'm such a hard find, man. These, the child care of my little ones is just nighttime. Stop of procreating. Stop. I'm done, man. I, I yeah, went to your husband and he took care of it. you, pal. Yeah, come <laughs> your, down. I'll your husband you already took care of it for me. <laughs> He already took care of it for me. I, oh. I still smell the the burning flesh of my vast deference. So, <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Were you watching our last panel a little bit? I, I watched a little bit of it, and all I wanted to do is tell Sean Aston if I take one more step further, it'll be the furthest I've ever walked from the Shire. So, but I just was like, ah. All right, we're not going to bring up go. Lord of the Rings, but God. Oh, for the love of you people. Just, like, so in love with that stuff. It's uh, People are enamored, but what's so interesting is they're enamored with, but you. it's like, I feel like I have to explain to you, that's not that. They're like, no. You I, think that's the person. One of the best, one of the best spoofs that South Park, yes, South Park. I won't watch that nonsense. Was, um, I can't with that. Was the... Uh, was the Imagination Land trilogy? Did you ever see that 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 series that they did? This is like a decade ago, and so there was like the circle portal right out of Stargate, and so there, the, the 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 State Department's suggestion in terms of who's going to lead the effort to fight the people in Imagination Land is to get Kurt Russell, and he's like, well, "I'm just an actor. I'm not really." That's like Joe Pesci. <laughs> Look, what I, well, and here's the thing, but like, I take it very seriously. We were talking about that. I take all of that art very seriously. This is why I've been watching, and everyone knows I watch Days of Our Lives. I've been watching it since 1988. I have been with it longer than I've been with my husband. I take that show as my show. And yet I do not ever want to meet any of those people. I've had the opportunity to meet the people. I don't want to meet the people. If I meet the people, it ruins the show. Why would I want to meet the people? Well, the best I can say is the one time I spoke to Springsteen on the phone, oh, it was a great conversation. God. I mean, at least I had that, you know, I didn't have to worry. Uh, yeah. And now but, he's hanging with, hanging with his homie Obama. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, that, that, I don't. He's I don't all neoliberaling out in Martha's Vineyard. You you would think if, if you had somebody like Bruce at that level that was saying, hey, the things that you think you know about exactly. economics and how it really exactly, works. Exactly, Mark. You know, Russell is a snake. Pliskin is real. That's the point. <laughs> well, I, I happen to love Escape from New York. That was a great. And I they should have left it there because no sequel needed. That's true. Not even uh, really appreciated. 
it, when, it, when it comes to filmmaking, like I love John Carpenter. I think he's one of the most brilliant filmmakers I ever saw. I can't get into that. I Well, have you seen The Thing? I, mean, I don't I, I don't like scary movies. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be grossed out. I don't, I don't want to be startled. Oh, he definitely I knows how to do all those things. I don't enjoy being scared. I think that's not an emotion that I seek. Amazing MMT supporter. Jules, thank you so much for the 999. It would be easier for people to strike if we had federally funded universal basic services oh, yeah. and a job guarantee to keep people whole and provide a safety net and no taxes. Why are you making why are you that. why are you angering Steve? Don't anger no, Steve. I'm not. She didn't anger me at all. all right. That's Sorry. exactly all right, my universal you, basics. Okay. Services, not services. Okay. Right, right. Services. Services. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I've changed in terms of when I talk. Like, I would never tell people our tax dollars are da 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 da. But I do. No, I never do that anymore. But I do say collective resources. I choose that we do not use our collective resources to bomb other countries. I would rather oh our God. collective resources be used here. So is that acceptable now? Yeah. Well, you know what? It, it's not about word policing. It is about paradigm shifting. No, I want to understand. I think that's no, exactly correct. Yeah. I think what you're saying is a really good way of saying it. Yes. Yeah. So that's obviously true. they have some type of a deal between President Biden and uh, obviously uh, House Speaker McCarthy. We know that what is being offered uh, on the surface is probably really crappy. So if you could just dig into the basics uh, for people to understand, again, it's uh, never going to understand this. It looks like a boatload of austerity nonsense. So if you can please inform the audience as to what we're looking I'm at. I'm just curious this. how Steve even has, I don't even understand how you, what you believe works with the whole idea of debt ceiling anyway. Like I, I don't, this is where you turn into the voice from Charlie Brown. I'm sorry. Just please explain to the other people because I don't understand how any of this shit works. So in 1917, a law was put on the books that was supposed to help the president make payments during wartime. Okay. And that thing has become the debt ceiling. It wasn't intended to be a stopper on spending. It was intended to, because at the time what was happening was every single possible bond had to be debated by Congress and then pass. So what they did was they let it, Hey, we'll just let so many of them go before we have a talk about, and then we'll go ahead and do it again. Well, it's changed. Okay. And there are a bunch of laws and um, you know, I've got several angles at this. Um, one of them was the uh, Ron Gray and uh, Beowulf uh, strategy of minting the coin. Uh, just, there's no law that says they can't do it. In fact, there's a law that says they can mint a coin of any denomination deposit it, and voila, we have no more debt ceiling issue whatsoever. And this could be done instantly with executive order from the uh, president. And we wouldn't have had any negotiation with McCarthy whatsoever. None, zero. But we know that's not Joe Biden's, who he is. He is a Republican through and through, and he showed it. The other thing is Bob Hockett, who wrote a great article in Forbes talked about there are seven laws, basically, aside from the 14th Amendment that says, point blank, the U.S. debt shall never be in question. U.S. will always pay its bills. The, the president has a 14th Amendment constitutional requirement to ensure all bills are paid, period. So right. it should supersede any of the debt limit games that are being leveraged it, it, completely not in the way the law was originally intended. But 
Since 1917 and up through the Nixon era, there have been several other laws that were passed that eradicate and eliminate and make not even valid that law of 1917. Okay. So there's so much precedent. There's constitutional law. There's all kinds of stuff. There's solutions, gimmicky solutions that are not gimmicky, but you know, from the minting the coin, et cetera. So Biden took the absolute most Republican way forward. And that is to pretend that the Republicans are dealing for real. And I spent the last several weeks subtweeting uh, McCarthy because he would say the most ridiculous Lauren Boebert level stupid stuff, hospital, <laughs> you know, from our tax dollars. And why should we pay for your student debt when I paid for mine? And every single possible worthless libertarian Republican right. argument possible, it needed to be slaughtered. So the bottom line is the debt limit relitigates legal spending, spending that was already passed into law by Congress, signed into law by the president, approved in the budget. And the answer to this also is, is that we can't spend any money anyway, regardless if Congress didn't already authorize it, Congress already passed those laws, passed right. all those bills. That money is constitutionally supposed to be spent. Now let's go into the Richard Nixon era for a moment. And Richard Nixon, what he would do is he would sign bills into law and then he would impound the money. He would literally put it in a lockbox and say, I ain't spending it. And so they said, oh, they, that ain't faithfully executing the laws of the land. So they went ahead and they, and I think it was in like 1974, created a law, the Anti-Empowerment Act or something like that, that literally took away Nixon's ability to stop making payments on bills he didn't really want to see happen. And then they also had the explicit eradication of the line item veto, on and on and on. So there is law upon law upon law upon constitutional law that makes this entire debt ceiling joke a joke. And it's, it's one that has a lot of really bad things associated with it as far as it goes for regular people. Yeah. And why wouldn't Biden want to get rid of it? Because when the Democrats are not in power, they want to be able to hold the Republicans hostage with it as well. So that's well, the it's fundraising. Reason. It's fundraising. Absolutely. Well, that's why they never codified Roe. And and it's so interesting. That, and, and they're still trying to fundraise off of it. And so, yep. th which is why I will not allow that anymore. I'm just going to pay for that issue all on its own. I'm going to circumvent. The, but you, you are the Democrats are not helping us. They're not they're not helping me get my lady rights in Florida. I could tell you that they're not fighting nope. for my lady parts. Nope. So I, I started trying to, I, I just, I actually went live on my own channel at noon today, trying to explain to people why I use the spicy, angry rhetoric that I do. And it's because most people do not associate economics with an AR-15. Most people focus on violence with the AR-15. They worry about guns. They worry about all this stuff. But they don't think about the fact and, and I'm looking, Jeff Stein of the Washington Post put a great tweet thread out, and I want to read it off he to you real the, quick. Uh, so he you is see. the best D.C. guy as far as – if you're going to pick one guy that's in there that's really D.C., Jeff Stein's yes. the best one they got. That's right. So let me, let me just read to you what this debt ceiling deal says so far. And I want you to remember, while I'm reading this off, remember point blank that none of this had to be negotiated. Biden had every legal precedent. He could have gone to the Supreme Court, ended this debt ceiling lie forever. 
He did not do any of that. He did not mint the coin. He did nothing but bend a knee to a Republican and gave him life, spoke life into his, you know, existence. Biden could have cuckled in him quickly, but he didn't. Why? Because Biden is a Republican. Anyone tells you differently is just simply not dealing with the reality. Let's just hear what Jeff Stein had to say about the deal. Yeah. He said, summary of the deal, as I understand it, debt ceiling raised for two years. So we won't be having this fight for two years. Domestic programs frozen next year, up 1% in 2025. Inflation adjusted cut. (laughs) Domestic programs frozen next year. Okay. Uh, Boost defense budget and the VA budget. Okay, well, I'm with the VA budget, but okay. Well, yeah, but you see how they put that in? Yes, yes. So then uh, some tightening of work requirements on TANF and SNAP, energy permitting (sighs) details, uh, in other words, to allow more digging and whatever, and then claw back some of the new IRS money, whatever. I don't care much about that, but regardless, though, see, when I spend as the federal government, I don't spend on individuals. I spend in macro aggregates. I spend on big things. I, you know, and that money makes it through the economy. So when that money isn't spent into the economy, whether you like what it was spent on or not, what ends up happening is you end up drying up. It's like a drought in the desert and the the sand starts cracking like you're at Joshua tree. And, you know, it's just a real disaster. Right. Anyway. So there's that. So two years of basic austerity baked into this agreement. Work requirement for food stamp moves from 50 to 54. So people up to 54 are going to have to work. Ridiculous. My understanding is the energy permitting changes are very minimal. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, He says there's a student loan provision as well. The agreement, as I understand it, codifies into law the administration's existing plan to end the forbearance. It's going to be over soon, folks. And the tsunami out of yeah. everything else. That's, that's going tsunami. to be. Oh, yeah. It's going to be biblical. And let me let me just stop here before we lose yeah. this point. Yeah. The student so thing is an issue. It's very easy to focus on some rich kid getting student aid, whatever. But let's just be fair. I have never met a rich kid that had to go get a Pell Grant. I've never met a rich kid that had to get a student loan. Uh, I've never met. And in fact, a lot of bougie middle, upper middle class people pay for their kids' school too. Okay. So there you go. (laughs) So when you look though at the average person that takes out these big debts, you're not exactly beating up the rich here. You're beating up the poor. Okay. So anyway, when you look at this, Most of these people that I'm worried about, I'm worried about everyone, but the ones that really drive the nail in are the elderly that had lost their jobs during the great financial Uh, crisis in 2008, 2009, that couldn't find work in a business that they were experienced in, had to reinvent their careers, went back to school, took on debt, and now they've got like five or six years of real work life to make up but they've got a degree. Now they got to pay for the next 20 years. So they're going to be 80 years old with a student debt payment and diminished social security. It's you better hope they save like a champ. Most people don't. Most people didn't. Most people will not be able to. Um, anyway, so then it comes back and it says um, no change in Biden student debt cancellation program. So the student debt cancellation is going to be kept as is whatever was on the books it's going to stay. Whatever on the pittance there was. Right. 
Exactly. And it was a pittance too, oh. believe me. And we're going to get into that here shortly. Um, but he, he, anyway, he, he came, he came back with a few other um, points, but most of this stuff, to be perfectly honest with you, I think it's just really important to understand that none of these things are about curtailing the wealth of the rich. It's 100% about tightening the screws and making life harder on regular people. Republicans, and I don't know whether this is thea theatrical at the top and they just do this stuff because this is what they're expected to do. WWE. I, I don't know, right? I'm just I'm being devil's advocate here yeah. for a minute. But you think about the fact that they're like telling everyone, if you're able-bodied, you lazy some bitch, get your ass out there and do some work, you some bitch. I mean, this is what the, the message is, right? And you got a Lauren Boebert out there with oh. her painting on jeans and her AR-15 and her cheating spouse and everything else that she's got going on out there wagging her finger, letting people know that they ain't getting over. They ain't going to get over no more. We're going to make sure you, you scumbag leeches are, you know, and this is literally the rhetoric that they use. So when you have that. And you can see the Republicans are just straight up batshit crazy with their rhetoric. Okay. The things they're saying, I'm not so much worried about the politicians, although I am, I'm worried about regular people taking these talking points to the Well, they are. Well, That's they are. I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I, yeah. I mean, I remember in Pennsylvania, I think I've talked about this before, but where Doug Mastriano went on TV and basically said it was war on the woke people. Let's get these woke people out of our yeah. state, kind of thing, right? Mastriano, I just he's, like, he's, he's wow, yeah. oh, it's the worst, man. But but this is rhetoric that may not have any legislative bite to it, but it becomes the way each other treats one another. So it may as well be the law of the land, right? And so all of these things come together, and you look and you're like, Democrats, you're up. What are you gonna do? Biden saying. Well, gosh, I, I guess we do need to cut back. Inflation's kind of high. We oh, do man. need to reduce the deficit. We, and, and you're like, what in the hell are you saying? And then worse, and it goes deeper because vote blue sycophants uh, echo and parrot and and like people are out there. Already didn't Joe defending. do an amazing job, oh Steve? Oh, I know, right? Oh, he's playing 3D chess, right? This guy is strategically embodied in a old corpse, right? So I just look at this and I say oh to my myself, God. what the actual F is going on? And, and, and the reason it's why it's resistance, it's not even real. It's not even real. It's, no. it, and, and the idea, though, and the idea that Democrats are so disconnected from the pain and suffering of Jane and Joe Sixpack, both Republican Jane and Joe Sixpack, and, and, and all everyone oh, yeah. working class, right? These folks are so tone deaf. The only thing they care about is their 401ks and their stock portfolios and all the other shit that rich people and well-to-do people and people. I was watching my old Facebook timeline. I saw an old friend of mine. He's a sales director at Verizon. And if you know anything about sales directors and salespeople, they've always got the Biff smile. Like you got all the, the catchy smile and they're all hanging out with a bunch of friends, always hugging, always like the world is their oyster, double flip collars, the eyes odd shirt. 
the pink and the baby blue flipped up. All you know, you get the point, right? And they're all smiling like there's nothing in the world that could ever hurt them. And I'm just looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, holy fuck, when my 120,000 in student debt hits, how am I going to deal with that new 800, $700, $800 a month payment? How am I going to deal with that? What am I going to deny my children? What am I going to do here? Right? Because I took on that student debt myself with the idea that there would be an economy that would produce for a guy with two master's degrees, et cetera. I thought that a guy with all the certifications I have, that we would have an economy for that, but we don't. And so there you are as a person that's super educated, a, a, a resume that could choke a donkey that's competing with young kids coming out of college now, and they can pay them pennies on the dollar and they do. So it, you got to understand the real world out there. And when you cut spending, when you put these kinds of austerity programs in place, it's not just a gentleman's disagreement at the top. It's not just a technocratic thing. It has real life consequences on real people and people at the margins who already don't have, it's going to be biblical. It's going to be really bad friends. And to me, this is where my past 10 years, I've tried to get everybody under the sun to understand economics because these are the wars that we've got to be prepared to fight. And I got to get you out of peanuts and bring you over here into the other world because I don't want to sound like I'm saying, wah, wah, wah. No, I understand. But I'm saying, I so understand. Bad. But what I, I understand what matters, okay, that we're being That's lied true. to. I understand, the, I, I understand the, the gist of it. And when you were saying before that Democrats don't appeal to, you know, regular people, I would, I would add, it's not only that they don't appeal to regular people, they actually turn off regular people so much that they're pushing regular people to the right. No, they're pushing yes. them over to me. And, and, and I me. see it all the time. We are out like, a big part of our lives yeah. is some type of canvassing. We're always at events. We're always talking to people. And I can tell you that most regular people are really tired of the elitism and the sanctimonious nature of the Democratic Party. They are sick of it. And what's here locally, all our Dem clubs are out doing is registering voters. But the majority of voters are not registering as I Democrats. Can assure, I can assure They're you. They're registering more Republicans than Democrats. And yet that's yeah. what the Democratic clubs are out doing in is registering central, voters. In central Pennsylvania, where it is completely red outside of University Park, is that what you will find when you go to a lot of these places, are there the outliers? Are there the crazies with the Confederate flags and all that crap? Or with the, as we saw- Oh, we saw some here. guy yesterday. I'm here. Or, or with the- <laughs> I'm here. Flag. Yes, I know, well, they are not the majority. No. They are the outliers and they're crazy, but the majority of people, they like the loud. ones that we are experienced, we were with the other day, oh, they this guy are yesterday. regular working people. Some of them are middle class. Some of them might even be upper middle class. But overall, these are regular people. The Democrats they are not hate-filled people. They just want to be able to survive in this world. And they know that the system is broken. And the only thing that is really keeping the GOP afloat is Donald Trump. Everyone knows it. Everyone can see the numbers. It's clear as day. I, for one, actually thought that DeSantis was going to be a real threat. He might still be. But I can also see nah. a scenario where he turns into Jeb Bush. Like it's very He's possible. somewhere between Jeb Bush and Mike Pence. Might be. And <laughs> so a lot of that just has to do with the desperation that this country feels right now. 
That's why they're looking at people like RFK and Marianne, because they're looking at, well, give me something, something other than this bullshit I've been fed for so long. And a really oh, great point I wanted to bring I really up. I wish Jesse or would run well, or even, the or even Mark running. Cuban or even Mark Cuban. Honestly, I would get behind that. I'd get behind a lot of things right now. Well, we certainly could have Jesse running. For I would president, love Jesse and That would be a great experience. Yes, it would. But what I, what I want to say here, which I think is very important because the one thing that we have been fed for the last two years, which we all know is BS is that if we just replaced Kirsten cinema in the Senate, we would be able to solve all of our problems. <laughs> If we only get Ruben Gallego into the Senate, that's going to solve our problem. But as we know, that is not the real problem here. And I'm going to prove it to each and every this one This is of the you. real power of our party, people. Manchin and the parliamentarian. That's why Joe couldn't get anything done. Support them for 24. That's who we're picking. Because I got to tell you, if the parliamentarian has that much power, we should be backing her all along. In the 2022 midterms, there was a lady by the name of, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say her last name correctly. Uh, it's Marie Glusenkamp Perez. Glusenkamp? What is this? This is her. And as you can probably see, if I get it close enough, if you can really, stop, because it's a little blurry, <laughs> but you can't really see it. But anyway, right. what the message is that she says is not representing special interests. And this is not somebody who's coming from Ruralville, America. This is somebody who is off the I-5 corridor in Washington state. So this is somebody who lives among society, even though she has the rural libertarian lean in her disposition, which is perfectly fine as long as you're not captured by corporate special interests. But lo and behold, not really a surprise here. The Debt Collective, a great group that we know personally, yep. put out this information the other day regarding Jared Golden, who we all know is really a libertarian congressional representative, masquerading as a Democrat up in the state of Maine. I'm not really concerned about what he does because we know what his M.O. is. But with Marie, she decided as part of the we're going to have a few Democrats side with the GOP because, you know, there's always going to be enough to make sure anything worth getting done doesn't. Today, two Democrats voted with Republicans to say that not only should student debt relief oh. be repealed, not only should the pause on payments end, but that you should make retroactive payments for previous months. Two Democrats. Jumped on with that. And that, and Jared Golden Are was you one, kidding? and Marie Glusenkamp Perez was the other. If you think that this is about just, if we just get one more person out of power, because that's what's going to solve it, rather than They'll the find another bad guy. that corporate special interests have captured our government, and we do not have a robust labor movement outside of politics to put a, to thwart this right now. Yep. I give you exhibit A as to why it doesn't That's mean a That's a Democrat. Isn't that crazy? Like, this is, this is, we are in the bizarro world. But this is not going to get enough flack. There's not enough attention that is going to be drawn to this lady. If I then, were in there, oh, I'd have words for her. And then the icing on the cake, Bobert which you list. may have noticed is that she decided to then make a video with Jared Golden and one other representative talking about how we are proud to be blue dogs because fiscal responsibility is the most oh important thing we could be doing on Capitol Hill. Steve, go teach them something. Can you not? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I can't even get friendlies to listen. Why wouldn't the world with the enemy listen, right? 
I mean, this is part of the problem. That's why for the last decade plus, I have been trying to get folks to understand that the United States government creates money when it spends it into existence and that it deletes money when it taxes it out of existence, period, period, full stop, end of story. And so all this fiscal responsibility, if you really believe that, okay, we need to have a talk. You're not a very, very informed person and I can help. However, I don't believe that this is accidental. I believe that this is a well-known thing and I believe that it's malicious and malevolent. I'm not here to stroke anyone's hair. I'm here to tell the truth. And the truth is, is that forever, I mean, go way the, way the hell back, okay? We knew back in the day that we used to burn money. We used to literally take these uh, you know, tobacco and, tr- and burn it. We would take coupons and trash them. We knew, we knew that money had done its job when the debt was paid and they didn't sit there and look around, where are we going to find the money? They know this, they know this, they know this. So what it does in the end is it breeds absolute precarity amongst regular people. And it creates this barrier, this like middle zone buffer of the very people you were talking about. They're not crazy. They're not this. They just don't want, you know, blah, blah, blah. These very well-reasoned, very thoughtful middle-class people that just don't want their hard-earned tax dollars wasted on someone's bad choices. And they think it's wrong that they paid their student debt, but they won't. And why should I fund that? It's all very commonsensical if you don't understand that the government literally is the creator of the dollar. We don't borrow from some private bank, but because we're stupid as hell and we're recalcitrant, we're stuck in this little rut, we don't have any power to fight back. That was the point of creating that narrative. That was the whole point of them. Well, it was definitely the point of it being perpetuated past it not being the actual system anymore. Hold on, hold on. Pull this up real quick. Um, There's a comment by Travers Wolf. Please pull his comment up here for a minute. Which one? That one right there. See, this is the left trying to do monetary policy, trying to talk economics. The petrodollar is not what everybody's trying to make it out to be. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is that it's just our currency. We have the ability to do whatever the fuck we want. The problem is, is that people conflate. Other countries that require our dollars, okay, they have to purchase those dollars on the open market or or they have to earn them through doing business with us in some way, shape, or form or whatever. So they're very concerned about the quote-unquote value of the dollar so they can get it to make their oil purchase. Let's just say the petrodollar system vanished tomorrow. The fact of the matter is as long as the U.S. IRS is able to enforce a tax, regardless of whether you like it or not, the dollar will have plenty of buying power. The issue will right. not be whether it can buy things. The issue will be whether we get cheap imports. And if we don't get cheap imports, guess what? They're going to bring production home. And guess what? We're going to buy domestic. We're going to buy a replacement product. But other countries are going to step up and say, hey, we want a piece of that 350 million person market in the U.S. And so it, I, it, it breaks my heart that lefties live and die on the petrodollar because it's just a sign that they don't really fully understand the way a currency operates. All these other countries, they don't have a petrodollar, but what do they have? They have fucking universal health care. 
What do they have? They have free college. What do they have? They don't sit there and have to work till they're 54 to earn their little stipend of Tana food or snap food or whatever. So this stuff really bothers me because instead of focus, like I watch some of my good friends that have good big channels, get lots of views talking about the end of the dollar. So what do I do? I go out and get a real economist to come and talk to me that understands the flows. Yan Ling, who is a Chinese uh, economist and MMT economist from Willamette University. She was this son, Saturday's macro and cheese. And she talks not only extensively about the bricks and how it's great. We really need additional choices out there, but it doesn't spell the end of the U S dollar by any stretch of the imagination. But every one of these YouTube channels and big block letters, the end of the dollar, it's like a Ron Paul, Peter Schiff, kind of 3 a.m. Bitcoin kind of garbage commercial. And we have people that are sadly addicted to this kind of James Bondism that is going to really, that really makes us look incompetent when we talk to our friends and relatives and not just them, but when we're looking at the people we're really trying to fight and take on, they know the story and they're like, we don't have to worry about them. They're still talking petrodollars. You know, it's like literally it's just like take yourself right out of the game. And I don't mean that mean. I'm not trying to be harsh. I like my problem is, is that I'm trying to help us understand that anybody can create a currency like Zimbabwe. Right. They had their own currency and they had hyperinflation. Well, why did they have hyperinflation? They had hyperinflation because a number one, Mugabe had taken all the crops away from the uh, the colonizers gave it to the warriors and the warlords didn't know how to farm, but the colonizers did. And the colonizers on the way out the door, flipped the match in the field, set them on fire, brought the productive capacity way down. And it didn't matter how many Zimbabwean bucks you had, there wasn't enough food to go around. So you were going to have hyperinflation, but they're going to say, Oh, but the petrodollar, Oh, the, the stop. There's real answers out there. That ain't it. And I see these big channels hyping up the petrodollar, like it's freaking mother's milk. And people lapping it up and they come to me and they're just like, I love you. My God, what? how much money do I have to give you to stop San Petro dollars? Yeah. Can, I, can, well, can my, I give you my son? Can I give you my home? Will you stop San Petro dollars? I'll, I'll cut my foot off. Will you stop saying Petro dollars? Will you stop? Well, I will say that well, my knowledge of it really, to the extent that, that I have any knowledge of it, is the fact that the countries that don't want to deal with us and want to deal with other countries, those are the countries we tend to villainize the most. Those are the countries where we, of course, want to have, you know, our coup. So when we start talking smack about Venezuela, my only thought is, oh, because they're not on the petrodollar. They don't want to play our game, right? Like, but that was my only even thought of it was that just, and and I do still think that that's why we hate those countries because they don't want to play with us. Well, Think of it like this. It's not so much the currency as it is the system, the SWIFT right. system, the payment system, okay? Because nobody, we when we do business with China, think about this. Just think of the flow with us with China. China sells us goods and services into the U.S. You're not sitting there scrounging around for some loose yuan. You're not wondering if you've got any British pounds. You're not scrumming around looking for some Australian dollars. No, when they sell goods and services into the U.S., it's transferred into U.S. dollars. And those payments then are held at the Fed. Those people, whoever they are, can make a choice. They can either A, take that money 
and invested in bonds of the U.S. government, which is, makes up our debt. But they haven't done anything. They, we're not printing new money. They've literally, that's their money. They earned it selling goods and services to us. They earn a nominal interest rate, 2%, whatever, over a period of time. You'd be an idiot not to take that deal. It's not like some big, massive debt. Right. So people just don't plug this stuff. Nobody uses dollars like in their country, like as their primary currency, unless, of course, they're just a right. you know, third world country. that has got a million different things going on. Nobody knows what's going on. They're like, oh, here, take a dollar. I'll take that. Right. Sure, why not? You know, Sweet. kind of thing. Bite the coin to see if it's real. But Steve, real quick, right. Peter, real quick. Let me finish sure. this thought and I'll get on. I just want to make the point that what happens is, is that because other countries need U.S. dollars because they've either pegged their currency to the U.S. dollar and therefore they need to have enough reserves in the bank of U.S. dollar holdings to be able to manage U.S. dollar transactions or the other part of that is, is that they want to buy oil. And so within that space, people will go out there on the open market, trade their currency for U.S. dollars. And if the U.S. dollar is high, then it's harder for them to get more dollars to pay for their stuff. It's the same Forex swap that everybody does. It just happens to be, in this case, U.S. dollars for petroleum. It's really not a big deal. If they cut it off, we just cut that right off. And then we would deal with the 800 military bases around the world that are infusing every one of those nations with U.S. dollars every day. If they don't want that, it's it's hard to fight an yeah. 800 base military. Let's <laughs> just be fair. That's really what this is about. It's power. Yeah. It's power. Our good friend, Craig Shapiro, who is a day trader and follows the financial world very closely. Um, this is his perspective uh, regarding this circumstance. What will the interest rate be on the debt that the U.S. government borrows as it continues to lose foreign demand for treasuries? So I'm sure you're looking forward to this. Uh, that to me is totally the voice of the teacher from Charlie Brown. But thank enough. you. That's what I heard. But go ahead. That's what I heard. Keep going. Is that all no. you have to say? That's all is I that have the end? That's, that's all Craig had to say. <laughs> all right, Look, so how do, you, how do you deal with that? What do we care about whether people want the U.S. dollar. People don't use the U.S. dollar. The issue is, do they do business with the U.S., right? Do they sell goods and services to the U.S.? Do the U.S. want to sell goods and services to them, vice versa? If we do, then there's a currency swap with Forex out in the market. That's it, all right? There's a balance of payment story there, all right? And it's really not that big a deal. Every other country deals with it as well. The whole point of these kind of reserve currencies I did a great podcast with a guy named Dirk Entz, who's a German economist and an mmt -er because MMT isn't just a U.S. thing, despite really? the fools to try to say it is, right? Really? Anyway, really? <laughs> so I have Dirk Entz talking about, and I'm like, Dirk, I'm at, don't, don't judge me, but I'm asking the questions the illiterati bring to me. And I want to ask you about, you know, China suddenly becoming a, the reserve currency and U.S. dollar no longer about and he's a, he has got no dog in this fight. He doesn't give a rat's patootie about the U.S. dollar in that sense. And he's like, listen, in order for a country to be a world reserve currency, to really, really be a world reserve currency, they have got to be willing to deficit spend like you wouldn't believe to get that currency out into the world, number one. China doesn't have any desire to deficit spend money out into the world. So they're already not playing from that, that sheet of music. 
The other thing that has to happen is people have got to want to have robust gains because that's what this is all about. This is all about capitalism and investments and stuff like that. It's not in reality anything to do with the power of the nation state to be able to provision itself and buy goods and services for the people. So China does not have a Wall Street like what we do. They don't have that robust financial district. So that still lives in New York City, period. And this has gotten almost a century of embedded investments that every one of these countries has, even if they dump the dollar, who gives a rat's ass? I mean, for real, it doesn't matter. The issue is, do you want to do business with us? If the U.S. has to, if Libya decided that, you know, with Gaddafi was still around, they decided they were going to have a gold backed currency. The U.S. would then in turn probably have to do some Forex swap if it wanted to do business with them. They'd have to do a Forex swap to go ahead and get the kind of currency that they want to buy the thing. No big deal. Everyone does it. Is it going to be the price you want? Who knows? At any given time, they fluctuate on the free open market. Who cares? The only place this really matters is in developing countries, people with U.S. dollar-denominated debts, and the U.S. as long as it wants to be a net importer. The minute the U.S. decides that it doesn't really care about having all these cheap imports, will bring that domestic production home or build other alliances with other nations. And again, this is not to say I want the U.S. to stay an empire because that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just telling right. you how it works. This is not my system. I'm not a capitalist. I'm a socialist. I don't want this at all. Okay. Yeah. So with that in mind, as long as you understand that the U.S. is just like Japan, who has a 300 to 1 debt to GDP ratio, by the way, and like next to no inflation, all right? They have robust services for the people. They have health care. They have everything, like public lands. They have all kinds of really wonderful services. Even after okay? we trashed them, they Even still- after we yes. brought Big big John and Little John and all the other yeah. crap all over, Nagasaki, you name it. We literally, and, and, and the explosion of their nuclear reactors, you name it. I mean, point I'm making here is, is that the, most of the people that bitch and whine about the U.S. dollar and stuff like that are investor-grade sleazeballs, okay? These are the friggin' bond traders, the bond vigilantes, people that I literally would like to use as fertilizer in a field to grow good foods and nourishment for the global South. <laughs> you were, like that's, to, that's eating the rich right there, man. That's, it. that's, that's how that's you eat, eat the them. rich. Yes. All right. So let's, so let's address, I, I understand where Craig is coming from. And the one thing that I think needs to be clarified, which is a huge part of this conversation. Uh, if you've noticed online, I'm sure you have, they are talking about, well, the deficit's growing and the, you know, we, we have uh, all this debt and blah, 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 blah. And by the way, in the last four years, the four years that Trump was in office, our deficit grew to a quarter of the entire deficit that's ever been spent in the history of the country. So where is the truth? What, what is the truth about our spending habits or lack thereof? What do you mean? I mean, first and foremost, the one thing I saw, and I want to be clear here, I want to scroll back up to Craig's last point because there's actually some common ground here. Go ahead and bring up his point. He says this extra interest paid out goes in the hands of the wealthy bondholders. That's it right there. Boom. It's a basic income for the wealthy who then can raise their demand for services and goods, which becomes even more inflationary. These are true statements to, 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 the, to a degree. The problem here is this. Rich people only buy so many loaves of bread. 
rich people only buy so many bottles of milk, okay? What they do is they buy assets, they buy stocks, they buy other investments, things like that. They don't just sit there and do what regular people do, which is pay their bills and worry about where they're going to find money for food. They instead buy up properties like BlackRock is doing, things like that. So there's yeah. real reason to have the interest rate on money at zero, always zero, zero interest rate policy in perpetuity. We had that for a while and people tried to say, oh, it was easy access to cash that created this problem. But no, what created this problem is this concept of deregulation of free market capitalism that frowns on the concept of regulation, that frowns on the concept of price controls, that frowns on the concept of like a land value tax that literally taxes the rents right out of uh, property ownership and <laughs> really attacks landlords where they hurt the most, right? So I think that there is some very, very parasitic extraction that comes from what Craig rightly points out here. I want to be crystal clear. I agree with most of what he said there. The only issue I'm saying is, is that there are tools and the reason why these things are an issue is because of the ideological proclivity toward libertarian garbage, trash, trash libertarian belief system. Okay, that yeah. empowers this free market fundamentalism that is repulsive and is absolutely not consistent with sustainable life on this planet. Yeah, it's one of those things that is very much not in the benefit of the collective. It's just not. not. It's just and it ultimately does eat its way up the ladder. Right. Like eventually it will. That won't be in my lifetime. But like eventually when the capitalism keeps imploding, because that's what it's imploding. It's just too, right. too much. And eventually when it goes back to, you know, sustainable, small, sustainable communities, all those corporatists who probably don't even know how to change a tire, they're going to be the people that get lost in the apocalypse. You know, well, it's going to well. be the people that can live sustainably. I want to say something also about what Craig's pointing out here. And I think this is super important. You know, this debt deal that they just came up with cap spending really kind of plugs the plugs, the floodgates up quite well. Um, but money is still being spent and it's being spent in the interest income channel. Okay. That interest income channel is the reason why the economy is not in total recession right now. Okay. We don't recognize that, but that's a fiscal spend. That's an, fiscal expenditure. And it's not coming from your hard-earned tax dollars, people. Please, God, never say it again. It's coming literally from the government saying, we're going to sell a six-month bond. And we know that a six-month bond at 7% is going to yield this much. And that money is pre-funded. They know what that bill, that bond is going to yield, period. They know it. And the ones that have fluctuating uh, you know, interest rates and stuff like that, they've got ways of accounting for that spending too. The fact is, is that this is free money for people that have money, okay? And that is what is filling the dam. So what we have in practice right now is a true trickle-down economics. The most true Reagan form of economics ever known to mankind is happening right now. And it shows that it can work if the work means making the rich richer exactly. and letting the poor open their mouth, hoping for a raindrop to get a morsel of water, right? That's what's going on right now. They cut the freaking spigot off for us. Do you remember that movie Total Recall where they, they cut the oxygen, they cut the oxygen down and then Arnold and the, I can't no. remember her name, go out Mom, there. And they, they give what you want. Give these people air. We must give them air. <laughs> the lady with three boobs and all that good stuff, right? I, it's weird. I found out that she was actually, 
She's actually a Star Trek girl. She was one of the early ones from, uh, I think, Next Generation, I, I believe. Anyway, so interesting stuff there. Um, but I want to I want to make clear, though, that Craig's not wrong in the sense that bonds allow rich people to get richer and that there's no useful financial purpose for them other than having a safe investment, period. So you see a lot of pensions by bonds. A lot of people that are older when they're hedging on their uh, 401k plan will choose the heavy bond investment because bonds pay. I mean, it's a guarantee, right? But aside from that, there's other ways of handling retirement. There's other ways of handling those things. Why not fully fund state pensions? Why in the world leave states to fend for their pension programs? Why in the world would you make them try to buy all these investments and do all this stuff? When in reality, if you look at the rainy day fund through the CAFR reports of each of these states, many of them, they don't have nearly enough funds to support their rainy day fund. They're, they're literally strapped. So when the government cuts it off, like they're doing with this debt ceiling bill, state coffers are going to dry up as well. Yeah. This is not something that just dies up there. It matriculates through the entire economy. And it, it's very important to understand that. Right. That trickles down. That actually yes. does trickle, trickle down. down misery. It yes. is. The pain trickles down big time. And it, in fact, it only rolls down. Yep. I was thinking about this. If I stacked a bunch of paper towels, you know, osmosis, if I pour water, water will go through. Right, right. But after a certain point, the water doesn't really make it anymore. Right. right. It keeps gobbling it up through the top and it just... Wet, 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 drier and drier and drier until it's right. completely dry, right? That right there is genuinely, uh, I see that. I want the 420 plan too. Hey, hey sign I me want up. everybody to be on the 420 plan, you know? I mean, obviously, I think, well, to me, I, in my, in my mind, I am okay. I'm on the secondary hey, 420 plan. He gets secondhand 420. <laughs> like for me, like with, with, with cannabis, it, I mean, for me, it should be completely decriminalized, but I don't believe in criminalizing drugs, period. But I think that medicinal could be stricter applied and that those people should get it free like any other medicine should be also free. And I think people that are not legitimate, and I will own that I am not, <laughs> um, we are pay recreational fees. And I'm fine with like that. That's fine. And I'm fine with you taxing that. And I'm fine with that money going to do whatever it goes to. Right. But if it were free to the people that legitimately need. And I think that there is we all know the difference. I don't need. I, I we know. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think. Well, hey, listen, I want to be crystal clear on this because I got to I got to be done here in a minute. Yeah, I want to yeah. put this point out for you guys. So you all fully aware, folks. The dollar, as we know, it is a public monopoly. It's a public utility. It is a simple public monopoly that we should have democratic control over, but we do not because it is not because of the private federal reserve and the Jews and all the other horrible shit. Does somebody Jew. say, right. You know, dodge Jews, right. <laughs> it's because we genuinely believe that the United States government goes trolling for bank loans at private banks. Some jackhole told us that. Okay. And so we think the U S is drowning in debt. It's not. It creates money every time it spends. Exactly. It chooses to sell bonds. It doesn't need to sell bonds. It chooses to sell bonds. Okay. So we could do so much, but we can't even get to the point where we talk about what we could do with the, with the power of fiat 
We instead focus on these stupid things that rich people want us to focus on, like, well, what about the debt? And what about the interest rates? And what about bonds? And what if they lose faith in the dollar? Let me tell you about faith in the dollar. You don't pay taxes, you go to jail, right? You don't, you, you, you get, you get garnished, all kinds of shit. I'm so sick to death of Neo Maxi Zunjweebies trying to tell me about faith in the dollar. Great breakfast. Dude, you don't understand. It was on yeah, the other I day. Mean, Neo Maxi Zoomed Weebies all the way. <laughs> when the boys in blue come and they say, we're going to garnish your check. Let me tell you, your place of employment isn't going to flinch by putting that garnishment on your check. Okay. It's gone. So the more you understand here, one final point, the Confederacy, why did the Confederates lose? It's great that they lost, but why did they lose? Well, they didn't really lose because they came back and won here in the year Money. 2023, right? But no, they lost because they they had a, a, a their own central bank, if you will. They right. had their own currency. They had the Confederate dollar, right? So their, their little Confederate bucks that they had, the problem was they could not ideologically bring themselves because they were worthless libertarians and they could not bring themselves to enforce the tax because they could not enforce the tax. The Confederate dollar went into hyperinflation. Okay. And so these are the things that if you really want to understand the world you're in and not myths and legends from the bar stool, but friggin' really understand the war we're in, you'll understand and so the ability to enforce a tax renders all that markets of lost confidence. All, it doesn't make a bit of difference. You've lost confidence in the IRS, maybe, but you have not lost confidence in the U.S. dollar. The Never had confidence in the IRS. <laughs> well, there you go, right? So that's, that's the lesson here. We have tax-driven money, and there's no reason whatsoever for this tax bill, for this debt bill, for any of these things to be hurting the little people. They're doing it. Why? Because this is how they discipline labor. And this is what they're doing. Yeah. It's part of the trinity yeah. of austerity. Never forget it. Joe Biden, he is a Republican. You voted for him, guys and gals. I hope you enjoy your Ronald Reagan. I mean, Joe Biden, because he's not FDR. Last, and speaking of that, last oh, thought before you terrible. go, how exactly, this is going to end up becoming a bigger disaster in terms of what the final, you know, what the final bill is going to look like. How, it, it, they've already seen just how weak Joe is and what a borderline, if not outright failure of a presidency he's had at, at a time when the status quo was the worst possible situation following a post-Trump presidency, which is all the more reason why we're likely to get him again, or dare I say, even somebody like Ron DeSantis. Can you explain how they're even going to sell this as a win in any capacity at a time when they are already bleeding support in the worst possible way? How is it not going to be Trump or DeSantis in 24? Here. I, I don't, first of all, I don't really believe these elections are real. I think it's all part of a controlled living experience similar to the Matrix and the girl in the red dress. You right. I think George, I think George Santos is Andy Kaufman. So I'm with you he on all be. of it. Man. He could be. But, but, but let's just say hypothetically uh, it's real and everything's real. The fact is, is that what they're counting on is that Joe Biden has shown to the cloth coat Republicans, he's praying that there's enough of those cloth coat Republicans, those old former Bush appointees, those old former Reaganites, those old Nixon, you know, Republicrats, you know, that will be looking at him and saying, 
Well, that's the way I remember it being mm-hmm. done. You know, reach across the aisle like old Tip O'Neill. I was just going to say, Tip O'Neill. I was just. <laughs> so these guys are living in a, a time gone by, and Joe oh, Biden's yeah. still there with his bird and his all the KKK friends and all of his Clarence Thomas love, fuck Anita Hill kind of moments. This he was a Joe strong Biden. German buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. This is a oh, guy. He's changed. He's, oh, changed. Yeah. he's not like that anymore. To, yeah, right. To, to evoke blue sycophant, perhaps, but not to the real world. Yes, now he's willing to sniff hair of all women. No, what that's I think right. we, what, what we have definitely seen is a titanic shift in so many ways, and I still attribute this in many respects to the rise of Bernie Sanders and what he would have represented to the Democratic Party establishment had he not uh, been screwed. Screwed. And as a result, their attitude was, well, now we have all of these moderate to left, hard left leaning independents and progressives who really want the Democratic Party to become this. Unfortunately, we're not going there because we like it as is. So what are we going to do? We're going to appeal to the urban and suburban moderate right-leaning outright right. Republicans, if you will. It's and that's why Joe Biden was able to be sold because that's what he is. Somehow, yep. from that's the right. whole Bernie thing, the Democrats got in their head, hmm, go right. Yeah. Like <laughs> somehow that's what they got because from the whole Bernie thing. That they, that's why right. I take the vote. Let, let me let me cap because I have to go, but let me yeah. cap it with this. The fact of the matter is this should tell you all you need to know. We have no say in this election stuff. No. We have no say in their priorities. We no. have zero say. We have no agency here. And I'm not smart enough to tell you not to vote, but I am smart enough to tell you that if you think voting your way through this is going to win anything, you are completely high on like motor, you know, oil solvent cleaner or something like that, or that rush poppers or something. I don't know. You're 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 screwed you're in the head. So <laughs> anyway, with that, I got a boogie. Right, so, thanks, folks, Steve. thank you for having Guys, me on. Check out the Real Progressives and the Macro and Cheese Podcast. Steve Grumbine, always welcome, always a pleasure. Bye, Steve. Thank you all. Appreciate Take it. Bye, bye. So, needless to say, this has been uh, this has been a really great podcast. Uh, we have done some really exceptional stuff today. But of course, we are a small but mighty channel. We are As small you know, but if you do like our work, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as five dollars a month, you get yourself a Lulu. And I would like to point out, I have one more. Uh, I have tons of these. I have okay. one more of this that isn't this one because this one's all wrinkly from for being 10, held up. For the ten dollar patron, you will get yourself your mansion, a mansion parliamentary. I mean, this is the most likely scenario, and considering the fact that the very corrupt no labels party is really leaning okay, hard which is hilarious to i'd Manchin like to, to say run. we've had this bumper sticker long I, hey listen i am totally the person who said make america great again again and then trump and his people <laughs> came out with it as well and i'm thinking man maybe our channel really right. does get we're to small people. but mighty we are small but, but mighty. so guys the mansion parliamentary thing this is what happened we were sitting here no it was we were talking about they can't get this through because the parliamentarian i'm like okay so you're telling me the president of the United States, who is the most powerful person in the world, that we have to be so worried about who gets that job, yet they're not more powerful than the parliamentarian? So I figure if the parliamentarian has that kind of pull, I'm with her. I don't need to know her name either. I've seen her. She looks very professional. Maybe. Well, well whatever. Well, if you're feeling a little extra generous, remember the $25 a month patron gets one of the, here comes the sun, generational change 
baseball jersey. It's very Silky soft. Smooth, he loves to say that. It is I do. Hey, listen, who doesn't like oh, a good t-shirt? You know what I'm saying? It's really, really comfortable. Uh, but of course, for those of you who really are not interested in putting your credit card on the grid and do not want to be hit with charges that you feel free to cash up. And guys, you know all of yes. our stuff, and we are small, so we don't. I mean, basically, we have a couple of guys that help us do clips, but all of our other than that, all of our money goes to service and, cash and helping dollar people. Dollar sign, gen change. We do we like to make a contribution. What do we, we do? do? Well, these are these are my little hygiene packs that we have. We all, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm giving them out, but but that's the kind of stuff that I spend our money on is to give out. And we sent money up to, um, it was a Fox farm in East Palestine. So he could evacuate his foxes. This is the kind of stuff that was keeping me up at night. Yeah, so, I always like to say, I, I you know, I, I appreciate you. Can't help everybody, but like, if I like, can help I can help some people. So I help who I can help. We're small. I don't have a lot, but I give what, you know, what we can, but anyway, that's what we do with our money. we, don't make money here. If you enjoyed today's show. We just show. work. We work for free. Yeah, we are really working for free. I've been working Which for means free I've got to for go about work for four after I get you, out of here. I feel like I've been working for free since I met you. If you blame it on me. Then. I'm just saying. I just feel like since I met you, I've been working for free for yeah. four years. So if you are enjoying our content today, and Lord knows you have, and there will be clips that will follow, Make sure to tune in on Wednesday. Again, we're going at a special time, but it's not uh, that special. Not that special. How it's early? in the evening. Seven. Seven. Oh so uh, at seven o'clock on Wednesday, oh, yeah. we will be live with our good friend, Jordan Chariton of Status Quo News. He is coming on to talk about another ecological disaster that people really do not want to talk about. Why don't they want to talk about it? Are because we having this deal with Michigan yet again? Yet again. Yet again, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo, Michigan. But you know what? Here's what I wonder, though, okay? I actually think that, you know, Michigan is, of course, very egregious, and it seems to now be like the poster child for it. Sure. But for every rat you see, there's 50 you don't. Oh, yeah. So in my mind, like, we can keep fixating on Michigan, and I would love for the people of Flint to finally get their fucking water clean. Like, it's just absurd at this point. But this is happening everywhere. This is happening everywhere. I would venture to say, and we don't even know, we're going to be having issues with our water here. Our The Fort Lauderdale mayor wants to privatize the water. Meanwhile, meanwhile, they get sewage flooding in their streets every time we have a major rain. That's just a so matter of So if you don't think we're going to be having like water issues, we're going to be having some serious water issues. Yeah, but you know, seriously, listen to Lawrence Tribe, Mr. High and Mighty, upper class liberal voice of everything, neoliberalism, who, who is at- Who the, is this? He's at Harvard. Uh, he is the- Who is this? I don't remember what his exact title is, but Harvard is actually, what Harvard University is doing with a nice chunk of their endowment is buying up land with for uh, pathways for drinking water. I wonder why they're doing such a thing. Well, yeah. Well, this is, it's just another form of control. Oh, yeah. And and when you, we're going to have people fighting over clean water. I'm fascinated with, they keep building condos down here. Not only do we need to head to higher ground, people who are south of Lake Okeechobee, I'm not kidding. We are not going to have enough drinking water for all of these people. I don't, I don't think people are really wrapping their heads around the water situation. So Jordan here. is going to come on and discuss what is going on in Kalamazoo. And the reason why this is so significant is because the Democrats, without question, come 2028, are going to be prepping Gretchen Whitmer to run for president and make her the first Madam President. But with the amount of dirt under her oh, fingernails, no. it's going to be pretty freaking bad, although we will give Michigan credit, obviously, for repealing right-to-work laws. I would argue she also inherited a lot of this. That's probably true. But where you plug one hole, a whole bunch of others openly end up uh, open up in other places. You're going to poke me in the eye and with that And so pen. Kalamazoo, we will be discussing that. But what we will also be discussing 
which is very, very important. We will finally get Matthew Cook from David Sirota's The Lever to come on, and he is going to follow Jordan, and he is going to be discussing how Medicare Advantage is one of the biggest scams you've ever seen in the billions upon billions of dollars, and all the reason why we apparently can't afford universal health care. Yeah, no, you know what? That was, I feel like I'm having deja vu. Who did we, and it wasn't Wendell. Who did we, do, I, I feel like I, well, in, the, in the past Potter two years, no, I know he's come on, yes. but in the past two years, I read a book and there was definitely a large segment of it about that. Oh, I know what it is. Sorry, Tom Hartman. And it was the hidden history of American healthcare. Canelo, and, you absolutely can. If you want to support our channel, I'm going to put the email in. Make a request at generationalchange at Yeah, send me your address, send me your size, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hit you up. We would that. very much appreciate it. Absolutely. For we'll anybody take else, just the same. I yeah. would be more than happy. We have a limited amount of them, and you know, yes. we have more shirts coming. But any contribution to the show. So. And then I lost. See, but when you people interrupt the pothead, I really That's lose what my happens train of thought. Now I don't, I don't care. I have to, to deal with this shit. Huh. You God damn it, man. We deal with some really heavy shit. You know, it's like, what do you expect me to do? I mean, so wait, what else were we going to, you were saying what else we were going to talk about? Uh, Well, the Medicare Advantage scam, which is something that- I had my epiphany as to who it was. And it reminded me that we're having Tom Hartman on again. Right, right. Because it was, Tom also did a very lengthy bit about that whole Medicare Advantage fraud. That whole grift. So when people say that, oh my God, Medicare for all, that wouldn't work. No, of course it would work. But again, what do you need to do? You need to remove the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. Why is this complicated? And that is what Medicare Advantage is. It's a for-profit middleman that doesn't need to be there. Actually, I would argue Medicare Advantage is actually even worse because it's totally, it's, you're really preying on the elderly people who don't understand how it works. And it is a specific scam for elderly people. And when they, and I see it all the time when people get their thing to get onto Medicare and they start getting approached by all the different people and you got to get this plan and you got to get this plan and whatever. And people really don't understand how any of this works. And quite honestly, it's insane that we should even have to sit here and figure this out. Like, well, if you take this plan, you can get your vision, but, but you're not going to get your dental. Your dental is a whole other thing. Or you know what? Maybe just rip your teeth out and get dentures and then you won't have to worry about dental. Um, but like all of this stuff is just insanity. Yes. It's just fucking crazy. No, if you're sick, you should just get sick. Like, I, I don't, I, I cannot stand like we're nitpicking over Medicare Advantage plans. Do you know that that's like just the concept is silly? The, the bottom line is, is we need universal health care, yeah. a living wage. We need a robust labor movement to fight back against we the We need nonsense. a lot of things. We need to really remember what Memorial Day is all about. It is honoring those that have served and given the ultimate sacrifice. And how do you best honor we those? We kind of did it more like we would do a Labor Day, interestingly. That's very true. But how do you best honor those who have given the ultimate sacrifice? Figure out ways to not have more people suffer the same fate. Yeah. Which means... Stop sending people to war for profit. Correct. The war in Syria, which people want to pretend is not happening. I was going to say, genocide. we should have Rania come on and talk yes. about what's going on with Syria and Turkey, because this is a major situation the that's happening. The genocide in Yemen, which is still happening and it's not being talked about. The very dangerous, endless war that is Ukraine and must end, and it could end tomorrow by bringing people and we to could even and we table. could even get on the third rail, you know. 
And yet, for whatever reason, the president of the United States saw to it to make a grand bargain by increasing the Pentagon budget by 10 percent. So needless to say, I just, you know what, I, I can't. We, we will not get our way out of <laughs> this. This is why this is but why by all means, please, please continue to talk about how women don't have a right to control their own body. We don't. Hear. Please continue to talk about. We how, have to talk about that. What am I supposed to talk about? Because I'm going to end up killing people over that. I'm not kidding. I have gotten to the point on that issue where I will not. I, not only won't I debate it, I would honestly just as soon kill you. Yeah, I really would. Like I am again, so. I have that on your ass, I don't. So you know so. what? You're talking about people encroaching on my bodily autonomy. Oh yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm going to be killing people for. That's the whole point. You're getting into my business. Whether it is the right to bear arms, whether it is LGBTQ, whatever it may be, if you are not talking about the fact that we cannot afford to live, that our rights are being eroded every day. The fact that we are the only developed country on the planet that doesn't have universal health care or universal education. The fact that we have endless war because our war- We're the world's our largest penal con- colony. Are, we, we do not have real criminal justice reform. No, we, we have, what, 2 million incarcerated. We have more people incarcerated than China does. And if that's not enough, we have a planet that is on fire and we are still pillaging it to no end. Literally and we're totally going to have to come back fire. and drill the shit on our own land. That is not the solution. And by there the way, who, who issued more drilling permits? Uh, was it Trump? Captain no. Joe Biden. It wasn't Trump. It's did been you know, Joe Biden with the did drilling you know permits. That, did you know that Joe Biden issued more drilling permits in two years than Donald Trump issued in four? How do you like that? Try selling that to the American people next year. Let's see how well that goes over. It's not going to Again, work. he barely won. I'm telling you guys, if it weren't for that, first of all, I don't think he won as much as Trump lost because of the pandemic. Oh, 100%. He and didn't the win. fact is, is that Joe cannot, I do not see how he can win again. He barely won last time and his record is not going to, I don't people, see it. I don't is, see how he can win but again. But remember people, there is not actually a primary going on in the Democratic Party. Joe is just inevitable and you must obey and, uh, I'm just much more interested in the in the shit show on the Republican side. It's going to be think, so entertaining. I think Mark Fabian was in the chat. He was the one who said it earlier, which I thought was an excellent, excellent point. I know you don't like John Carpenter because most of what he does is all horror based type stuff. But you have to see they live. I'm not watching. That. No, but they live. No, I don't you. care. They don't live for me. I don't want to watch that. Oh. I don't like watching. All right. So then what you, well, you like Rowdy. You like Rowdy Roddy Piper, didn't you? Well, yeah. Okay, so then all you need to do is see the one scene. Do where, I not bleed? Okay, well, Roddy had this one scene in the movie where he puts on the glasses that allows you to see exactly what the mass consumerism of America really is all about. Just see that one scene. I and cannot with me. you because I feel like it's like the same as with my husband or my kids. They want to show me something. They think it's so funny. They show it to me. I never think it's funny. And then they're like annoyed at me for not thinking it's funny. So let's just assume that we do not have the same sense of humor and move on. No, it's not that. It's the message. That's what's important. Oh, you for God message. Smash the like button, like, subscribe, contribute if you can, do all those wonderful things. A big thank you to our amazing opening panel, David Jolla, Francis Fisher, Jolie Fisher, and of course, Sean Astin. And of course, to our great friend, Steve Grumbine for bringing the facts about the nonsense that is this debt ceiling. Smash the like button. We could have like the the Seinfeld Merv Griffin episode here. It was in one of the top three of the last season. I got to pull that for you. But yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm like, we're like that. We're like, we're like friggin' Kramer in his apartment with the Merv Griffin. Where are the cameras? (laughs) Tune in Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for Jordan Chariton of Status Quo News and Matthew Cook of The Lever. We'll see you then. Bye, y'all.
Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.